For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Free Food Friday, lads, courtesy of ourselves in Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. Uh, more details of what's on offer, but you need to text who you are and where you are to 86 It'll feed between 15 and 20 of you in the workforce. Now, uh, Sinead O'Connor continues to dominate most of the front pages this morning. Yesterday, it was all of the front pages. Uh, Claire put together a montage yesterday morning of all of the international newspapers as well, and she dominated all of those right across the globe. Such was the woman's power. Happy and smiling, Sinead's final days is the headline story making the mail today. They say she moved to London weeks ago. She was writing songs. The new album was nearly finished. Uh, There was talk about a world tour. I believe they were putting together a red online this morning, uh, a world tour of Australia for um, next year and in Europe and much of the rest of the world for the year after. So there were lots and lots of plans. Um, And unfortunately... Uh, her death announced um, on Wednesday, late Wednesday afternoon. So happy and smiling. Um, they tried to bury me, but didn't realise I was a seed. Is the front page story making the sun, and many of them carry a big smiling. Do you ever notice that Sinead O'Connor, by and large, was always smiling? Mm, always smiling. Uh, no cause of death um, for weeks, because there will be uh, an inquest, obviously, and the cause of uh, Sinead O'Connor's death could take weeks to be established. So post-mortem being carried out on the on the singer uh, who was found dead uh, at her penthouse on uh, Wednesday morning. It was announced on Wednesday afternoon. There was a, a vigil then yesterday and many floral tributes were laid yesterday. Um, uh, a light has died is the front page making the star today. Uh, vigils held for Sinead at home here in Ireland and also in London where she died at the age of 56. Members of the public left flowers and cards saying things like a light had died and many just saying thank you Sinead. Somebody else says Sinead, we heard you. Um, it's a book of condolence that's been opened here on Lee's side. I was telling you this yesterday morning. Uh, the Lord Mayor of Cork, uh, Kieran McCarthy, has opened a book of condolence for uh, Sinead. Um, and it's uh, in City Hall and will be there for, for two weeks, uh, should you wish to go and sign it. Uh, headline in the Examiner this morning says, I hope you're at peace, Sinead. And this, of course, is referencing the vigil yesterday, uh, both in London and in Dublin. The uh, Interestingly, because we kind of touched on this yesterday, is there an element of hypocrisy with all of the tributes to Sinead O'Connor, who put up with an awful lot of issues uh, and grief from various people uh, when she was alive, and much of it within her own industry, the music industry, which can be quite cruel. Um, and Morrissey uh, has been raging against those people praising her now, saying that there were hypocrites who'd done nothing to support her while she was alive. Uh, A lot of good time for Morrissey, and a big fan of the Smiths, I have to say, myself. Um, He says she was dropped by her label after selling 7 million albums for them. Uh, She had done nothing wrong. You praise her now only because it's too late. Uh, He says, and I'm reading from this morning's Mirror, uh, he says, you hadn't the guts to support her when she was alive. Um, When everyone else stayed safely silent, uh, Sinead had the courage to speak up. She doesn't need your sterile slop now. She was harassed simply for being herself. So he kind of sees through a lot of this um, fakery that exists in the world today. Uh, Because many of the papers just have tribute after tribute after tribute, comment after comment after comment. And he's asking the question, do you really feel that way? Did you feel...
feel that way when she was alive. And um, we were talking with Dave Fanning and Oz Stokes yesterday on air, and of course we heard that the new album is nearly finished. Um, there was talk also uh, last night, I saw that they're trying to decide now whether the album will be released as it is now. When they say unfinished, I'd imagine... I don't know how they deem unfinished as is there enough tracks for an album or not I don't know but that's another part of the Sinead uh, O'Connor story that's making the papers uh, today and it'll run for some time yet because uh, everybody has felt profoundly uh, felt the effect of her death at uh, 56 um, somebody said to me yesterday um, you know one of the more extraordinary points is that she actually lived that long because of the life that she lived and the amount she packed into it. It's tragically sad. Um, In other stories this morning, of course, uh, you don't need me to tell you about European Central Bank interest rate hikes, do you? If it goes up to 4.25, it means that the banks then guaranteed the banks will put a little bit on for themselves. So it's more likely to be closer to 5%. Uh, So impact of nine ECB rates since last July, nine of them. Can you imagine trying to cope with that? They're figuring that, um, you know, if you were to pick an average figure, and it's hard to pick an average mortgage, it's certainly in and around uh, €350 a month. And if you look at the increases since last July, that's probably in and around three and a half grand to four grand a year extra for people's mortgages. So the interest rates now are the highest since we brought in the euro. So the, the highest since... Uh, the year 2000, the highest in 23 years. So more on that across the morning. But your thoughts are welcome, particularly if you are trying to service a mortgage and finding it difficult. Text 0868104106. But interestingly, because we've had such a crisis with regards to housing and certainly the rental market, those that are renting are getting older, which means that now we're seeing the census showing us this morning uh, that there's been a big increase in renters aged over 65. These would be people for lots of different reasons. Perhaps they were always renting and now just happen to be 65 years old and probably will be renting even older. So that's a new phenomenon that's come in now. The average weekly rent is broken down as well by the CSO. But there's a lot of stats in the CSO report, which I'll come back to throughout the course of the morning, because they're actually powerful, particularly when you drill into the amount of homes that actually have been built, as in houses that have actually been built since the last time the CSO looked at it, which I was believe, believe was uh, 2016. So I'll park that for now. Also, um, one thing that never ceases to amaze me is that interest rates continue to go up, right? And the banks follow the European Central Bank um, and they keep putting up interest rates for mortgages or loans as well. It could be a car loan or a home loan or whatever. But one thing they never do, they're starting to do it a small bit now, but nowhere near what they should be doing, is they don't put up interest rates for savings. Um, you'd be lucky, I think, at this stage now to get one and a half or two percent. And that's only because one of them broke ranks. I think it was Bank of Ireland first and went for two percent. And the others kind of begrudgingly probably will follow them. But I also have a list of the different profits that Bank of Ireland, AIB, Permanent TSB have made in the last 12 months or whatever. And I've also thrown Revolut into the mix. So I'll come back to that later on. Don't even start to talk about the obscene profits that, um, you know, t- utility and energy providers. I see the examiner this morning that say that Shell has just reported profits of over $5 billion for the second quarter of the year. So it's $5 billion for three months of their profits, right? So if they did the same thing four times a year for the four quarters, that would be a profit of $20 billion. Not millions, billions. 
20 billion and you wonder why you pay so much greed is really much of what drives uh, much of the commercialism in this world now unfortunately then of course if it wasn't bad enough with regards to mortgages or housing or indeed renting don't even start with regards to our uh, health service the mayor this morning says 9,000 elderly people were left waiting for at least 24 hours in Irish um, uh, A&Es and many refusing now to even go into A&Es, particularly elderly people who are quite sick and and in need of help because they just know that in there it is an absolute nightmare. Um, It's a story making this morning's front page of the Echo today because I know they are planning um, increased public funding for IVF, but it's the story of Helen Brown, who apparently is a Cork woman who previously had to sell her car to fund fertility treatment. Uh, She's expressing hope that more couples now can be spared a similar fate with the introduction of publicly funded IVS, IVF treatment. So that's a front pager making the echo. But bizarrely, and I know I keep a close look on court reports on this here radio programme, much to do with, you know, the, the changing and the increasing amounts of criminality in our country, but also to keep a close eye on sentencing policies of various judges. Now, and I always preface things by saying I wasn't in court. So I don't know the full story, but what I do know about this one is just bizarre in the extreme by virtue of the fact that the judge gave a three-year sentence sentence suspended for four years, a three-year sentence suspended. It's the story of a carer who stole €122,000 from an elderly couple during the pandemic and gave it to a romance fraudster that she met online. Well, as they say in the mirror this morning, she dodged jail. Um, Angela Manning, a 59-year-old, she pleaded guilty um, to stealing money from an elderly couple using their bank card at ATM, ATM withdrawals, if you like, um, during COVID. Um, apparently, the couple hired her as their carer. Um, so this would be uh, Letitia Lynham and her husband, Enda O'Regan. So while Miss Lynham was self-isolating dur- during COVID, Manning would call to her home and was given the ATM card by Miss Lynham to go food shopping. So during the trial, it uh, it was revealed that uh, Miss Lynham texted um, Manning at one stage, asking her for the bank card back, as she had tried to buy something online, but the payment wouldn't go through. So the next day, Manning came to Miss Lynham's home, and she said, I want to tell you something, I have done something to you. Um, you are going to be very angry with me. I have taken all your money. So the court heard that Miss Lynham initially laughed and thought it was a joke, but Manny continued, I have bled you dry, there is nothing left. So Miss Lynham asked, um, have you taken all my money? And Manning replied, yes, there's only seven euro left. Uh, she had withdrawn over €122,000 from the couple's joint account. Apparently, she said that she met a man on Facebook and she fell in love with him. Um, this man said his name was Sam that he was a soldier in the U.S. Army, and he told Manning that his daughter was dying and he needed €10,000 to be released from the army. Um, she, the judge actually... Now, I don't know about the rest of the money. It was 122 grand. I get the impression that this guy, inverted commas, Sam, that she fell in love with, got all of the money, all €122,000. So you got to wonder, sadly, about the gullibility, the, the gullibility of, of people. So the judge said that Manning didn't use the money to enrich herself and buy any lavish things, but she did succumb to fraudsters. Um, Now, in a previous incident in the High Court in 2021, the deeds of Manning's home, family home, were transferred 
uh, to the couple. So at least that's something for them. But in the period of 18 months during the COVID pandemic, um, the uh, offending only stopped when the money ran out. And that resulted yesterday in a three-year sentence suspended for four years. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, text 0868104106. Now, uh, the papers also today, in quite some detail, look at landlords demanding sex for rent. And if you watched the Primetime Investigates story yesterday, last night, um, then you will have seen different case histories of wretched individuals, wretched individuals. In one case, a couple, man and a woman, but in the other couple, in the other cases, men looking for sex in lieu of rent from vulnerable people who have nowhere to live. So that was on Primetime Investigates last night. So that dominates many of the papers this morning. Rent sex demand should be illegal. Landlords demanding sex for, for rent must be stopped. Clampdown call on sex for rent perv landlords. Three different stories making the papers today. Um, so this was RTE's Primetime Investigates. But earlier in the year, at the start of the year, Anne Murphy the investigative journal, journalist with the Echo and the Examiner was the first to break this type uh, of story um, when uh, she herself uh, actually went undercover. She joins me by phone. Anne, good morning. Good morning. So you got this ball rolling at the start of the year. Uh, Primetime picked up and ran with it and actually, in fairness, credited your work last night on television, which was, which was nice. But uh, it do- none of this comes as any surprise to you. It sure doesn't. Not at all, Neil. And actually, it was actually December 2021 when we started our investigation in, in the Irish Examiner. And, and you did loads with us at the time, so much much appreciation yep. for that. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, looking at the uh, primetime investigates last night was absolutely shocking, and as we, as we could see. And it is great to see, um, you know, other um, outlets coming in on this as well, because it's something that has kind of uh, lapsed on for quite a while. Um, in, in the wake of our investigation starting in December 2021, um, both the Department of Housing and the Department of Justice um, were keen to stress how, you know, uh, appalling this was, and it was something that needed to be prioritised at there was, you know, no specific law there to deal with this. Um, and in March 2022, last year, Keane O'Callaghan of the Social Democrats brought forward a bill called the Ben on Sex for Rent Bill. And during that, he referenced the Irish Examiner investigation and um, when he introduced it in the doll. And he specifically mentioned one case where um, an, an Italian woman who had spoken with us about moving to Ireland and she described the rental market in Ireland as like falling into a dangerous hell. Basically, she had tried to find somewhere and had been offered sex for rent propositions on three different occasions. Um, in responding to ads that didn't offer sex rent at all. They were they were just ordinary rental properties as far as she was concerned. But when she went to vote them, then she was offered a sex rent proposition um, offering her reduced rent or no rent in return for um, accommodation. And as you say, I, I in December 2021, I travelled to Newcastle West um, on foot of... Um, an ad that I had responded to um, on um, an advertising website and there met a, a landlord who had been engaging with me by email previous to that looking for um, a sex rent um, arrangement. Basically, he told me that he had previously done it um, with a tenant who had stayed there for four months and he said it worked out quite well in his words. But he told me that there was other people interested in the room as well and in, in the arrangement. Um, he wanted to audition me, as he called it, on the day that I called to the property. Um, audition? Absolutely, yeah. And and he told me that he was going to be auditioning other people later on that day um, and see which he got on best with. Um, and when I left, 
he he tried to get me into the property to see it um, and I told him that I was uncomfortable with the prospect that it wasn't something that I was entirely comfortable with now that I was there at the property um, and then so I left and then even that night and the following morning I got um, contacts from him telling me that you know he would like to have had as he called it fun with me that day this was relating to the audition that he was proposing um, and it, he still basically wanted me to, to consider the arrangement. Yeah, because I've been reading some of the backstories from the examiner when you were doing this uh, and, and the ads that they put up, free bedroom in Wilton, looking for a nice lady to look after the landlord. Um, mm-hmm. it's, like a, it's so brazen and bold for all to see. Um, but like, they, it's vile, isn't it? That That, that, that men would use this um, for for sex knowing people are in the middle of a housing crisis and nowhere to live Absolutely Neil, I totally agree and uh, in one of the women who spoke to me afterwards we have spoken with a, um, a lot of people who were offered these propositions and one of the women just told me about two months ago that even though her case had happened in early 2022 she has been going for counselling as a result of it and she had such high hopes for moving to Ireland she described Ireland as somewhere that she thought would be an escape from her old life where there would have been a lot of crime deprivation and she said that she thought by moving to northern Europe that she would be in a safe place with a safe home and that she would have been able to raise money and make a better life for herself. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case in her in her situation. But with regards to your investigation, extensive as it was, and prime times last night, do you think that there are women, young women, actually living under these circumstances now as we speak? Yes, I think there are. Um, I, I, I know that, like, I know of one situation where somebody did enter that arrangement and, and left fairly quickly again. But yes, I, I believe that in, in some cases um, that this is the situation. Now, I, I don't know if I could actually believe the men that I met in Limerick that time, but he told me that um, a number of his friends were doing this and that it worked out well for them. Yeah, but you wouldn't um, necessarily believe him, you know what I mean? No, and you that's know. what I'm saying, but what, what, I, what I do believe is that people actually do think that this is a normal way to engage with prospective tenants. There's a lot of people, a lot of people coming into Ireland at the moment from displacements. People like Ukrainian refugees have been targeted by, targeted by these arrangements. And in some cases, people are willing to do it. I had, I had um, contact from one woman who did do it. She didn't stay in that, in that situation, but she felt that she had no other option. You also found uh, an applicant, sorry, an ad for at least one in Cork. One was in, in the lock, um, responded to, you actually responded to an ad for a female tenant sh- into sharing their body twice a week for payment, um, discovering the successful applicants would live in a flat in Cork City's lock area, but would first yes. have to be vetted by the landlord's wife. Is that is that accurate? Yes, and in, the, in that case, apparently the wife was quite happy to go along with the situation, um, similar to what emerged on prime time last night. As we well. had a couple on um, prime time last night—a man and yes. woman who wanted into into yes. enter into this arrangement with the undercover journalist from prime time. Yes, and so the, like when I saw that, it reminded me of that situation in in the lock that you mentioned there. I was told in the engagement with that landlord that his wife had no problem with this and would be um, would be involved in the vetting procedure for the person that would move in to the property. Um, I did not know whether I, you know, I would be actually meeting the 
the prospective landlady or not, or was she was she going to be involved in you know any sexual uh, you know? Um, mm. Well, in prime time, in the prime time, in the prime time example, she was wanting to be involved. She was very much so. Yeah, she was very much so. Then there was another one on Lee's side that you found, which you described as an, an immaculate-looking detached house in Cork, surrounded by manicured lawns and flower beds. What can you tell us about that one? Um, that was one in North Cork. Um, so in, in that situation, um, the landlord didn't seem to be as... Um, he seemed to be more hesitant about going down this route. It seemed to be a first-time um, situation for him, unlike the landlord in Limerick. And he backed out of it fairly quickly. I think he kind of... Maybe he thinks that I was a reporter, I'm not certain. Um, because that did happen in a situation where I contacted a landlord in Dublin. He did think because, uh, that, that I wasn't um, a legitimate tenant. And he asked, actually asked me, was I a reporter? And that was around the time that the yeah. um, Ben and Sex Rent Bill was going through the doll. So I suspect he was aware of the He was suspicious, the but there was the case was. in Port Leash. There was the ad looking for a female housekeeper who can make dinners and wash clothes in exchange for free rent. Is, is, is that kind of code for what he really wants? Some of them are, yes. And uh, um, like, you have to contact them before they actually tell you exactly. That's what I mean. That's the opening gambit, if you yes. like. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of these ads, they don't put down the, the, the rent. So they, they might say um, rent can be negotiated or, you know, the, um, rent to be discussed or whatever. And if that's the situation and there's very little pictures of the property, then you kind of guess that that's where that's going down. And then they, if they start asking you for a picture of yourself, yeah, then you know yeah, that that's yeah. exactly what And did that happen for. with you when you approached yes. many of them? Yes, it did. Um, a number of them requested pictures of me. Um, and when I wouldn't give them, then the contact would cease. Is this is this criminal? Not at the moment. Um, it, well, there's there's a bit of a grey area there. Um, the Rape Crisis Network believe that it could be criminal if it, under sexual offences legislation because that the consent that you need um, for you know a mutually um, a consensual relationship isn't specifically there. It's in non-existent. Where it's yeah, where where you're being pressured into this because you have no other option to find accommodation other than to enter into a situation where sex is required. Um, but the uh, Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, previously said that there was no um, specific legislation around this area. And so um, even though the Ben and Sex Rent Bill was brought through the doll by um, Keno Callaghan, it failed at the uh, Justice Committee stage um, where they believed that it fell short um, on a number of, of levels. And so it was being uh, looked at as part for review of the prostitution legislation is, is um, underway at the moment. And it was being looked at under that or was being proposed to be looked at under that. Do you think but it would be challenged, though, under the view of consenting adults or something? Well, I'm not sure whether you can actually go down the route of consenting adult if you don't have any other option. Um, if the other option is, is to be on Oh, the listen, street, it's reprehensible. It's, it's disgusting. Don't get me wrong. Um, seeing the, 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 the mirror this morning call it property owners preying on vulnerable prospective tenants, people who mm-hmm. are desperate, people who are couch surfing or staying with friends or sleeping in their cars or just came here for a new life. It's the yes. lowest It's the lowest of the low, without a doubt. I can't understand why it failed, though, to be passed into law. And, and it's, not, it's not going to be addressed for quite a while because, unfortunately, there was a snag with the Part 4 review of the prostitution legislation, the um, lead on that. 
um, step down in mutual agreement with the Department of Justice and now the Department has to advertise again for somebody fresh to take on that work again and to pick up where the last lead took off but there is no time frame and at the time in January 2022 after the examiner um, investigation um, both the Department of Justice and the Department of Housing sought uh, legal advice from the Attorney General um, and wanted to um, you know, address it as a priority or so they said but we're 18 months down the line from that investigation and we're still no nearer to knowing what will happen and as we're, you know, as we're talking there's people still advertising on these websites offering these arrangements there's people targeting um, targeting people on Facebook Marketplace and, and other kind of um, places where people advertise looking for a property and they're offering these these arrangements to vulnerable people and many who have just arrived in the country and are looking for places to stay. Absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the call, Anne Murphy, investigative journalist with The Echo and The Examiner. Aoife Hegarty is with RTE Investigates and put the show together last night. It was powerful. It was depressing to watch these particularly wretched people behaving as they did. Aoife, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. One of the points there I made to Anne Murphy at The Examiner was, does she think that right now, as we speak, there are women living in these arrangements? Do you? Well, they have to be, and, you know, that has to be uh, shown in the fact that these ads are so readily available. And, and if there weren't people who are in such a position that they have to consider taking these options, then that demand wouldn't be there, you know. And, I mean, we saw last night in advance of the programme, um, we contacted a number of the websites um, wh- wh- which host these ads, um, and one of them being Locanto. And, I mean, they told us about all the controls and safety measures that they have in place to try and prevent these ads appearing on their sites. Yet they told us about almost 21,000 objectionable ads being removed from their site in Ireland last year alone. Now, we don't know what exactly, uh, you know, objectionable um, includes, but in anyone's language, 21,000 ads is a significant number to be taken down from a website in in only one year. And I mean, even even as of last night, we saw an ad up there ourselves um, advertising a sex for rent arrangement again. Looking at the work that Anne Murphy did, the ads are just absolutely disgusting. One is, I'm looking for a nude female cleaner to help around the house. Aren't they very brazen, though, and open about what they're looking for? Yeah, and in a way, um, those ads are very explicit. Um, They don't at all try to hide what they're offering. It's very brazen. It's very open. But yet, nearly what is more concerning about this is the hidden side of this world. Like, they are the ads that are very open about it. But there are very many ads that are vague. Um, You know, they'll strangely just offer rooms at a good price in what's a highly competitive rental market. And there are very many tenants who have no idea about the true nature of a landlord's intention until they either either engage further or indeed and worryingly they turn up in person to view a property and it's only at that point that they discover what the exchange is. But anything could happen when they enter the property even for viewing because of this kind of predatory behaviour, right? And, and then that's the case for, for in any case, you know, someone who might enter this arrangement, maybe seeing it as a temporary thing in order to get them over a hard patch. But, you know, I guess that the issue and the, the possibility is there that no one knows what happens next when but you it, enter. But it's heartbreaking, particularly for anybody who has a daughter. And many of us do. I was watching last night where at least one of them in the report had your reporter, your journalist undercover, who obviously they didn't know they were undercover journalists working for primetime, but he was asking for, like, like a tryout, as if you wanted to test drive a car. 
Yeah, and I mean, you'll have seen this night too, that in every single um, case they tried to get um, our undercover researcher into their car before meeting in a public place. Um, There were also repeated demands for photographs before an in-person meeting would happen. One one individual said it was because it was important to see a full body image for the service as part of the arrangement. And it is women who are typically at risk in these scenarios. You know, they're people who've had hard times, maybe they're immigrants, they're women who don't have support networks around them. And in those circumstances, we're talking about people who are essentially desperate. Um, And we made that vulnerability very clear to each of the people we met. You know, this was a a Brazilian student who had apparently just arrived in the country in the last eight months. You know, she had lost her job as an au pair. She was struggling to find accommodation. But yet we find repeated examples of people who were just only too willing, it appeared, to take advantage of that vulnerability. Actually, you can even go lower than that with a couple looking for somebody from Ukraine. Talk about vulnerability there. What I mean, that is, I suppose you're talking about the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable. You were talking about someone who's fleeing a war-torn situation. Um, And you heard the couple last night say it themselves. They advertised for a Ukrainian because they felt those people, in their words, would reach out more. Um, And You know, maybe one of the experts last night spoke about the fact that, you know, in their minds, they might justify this as them being in an open relationship, perhaps even a very liberal relationship. But when you have a relationship that is not equal and one party to that relationship um, is under the duress of needing essentially a roof over their heads, then that is, in fact, a very sexually destructive arrangement. Totally is. It's predatory behaviour. It's making a commodity out of a human being. Um, It's... um you, you can't report these people. There's no criminality involved like this because there's nothing in law to prevent it, right? No, and that's what, um, as I as I heard Anne speaking about there, that is what this comes back to at the end of the day, legislation. Because while it is against the law here to purchase sex, it is not yet legislated for, um, you know, to exchange sex for some sort of benefit like accommodation. You could now, I mean, there are experts who will argue that in a rent for, um, in a sex for rent scenario uh, where one party is, you know, looking for something that is so basic as accommodation that, you know, the question of consent can arise. But there are also potential pitfalls by relying on that sexual offences legislation. So really to avoid any ambiguity, any confusion, the best way that most people agree to proceed is to introduce specific bespoke legislation. And it's not like there isn't a precedent for that because our nearest neighbours in the UK have legislated for this since 2019. Um, One of your... Um, professionals that you spoke with yesterday last night, forgive me, I I can't remember her name, Uh, she was one of those may have been from a rape prices network did did she say words to the effect that there are many men like this or something like that yeah, well, I mean, I think it, it may have been Kieran McGrath. Well, I suppose what, what you have, number one, is, and Kleena made that point last night, is the ordinariness of this. And, you know, each of the individuals that we met last night, they could be, as Kleena sadly said, anyone we know. Um, and, and that is, in a way, one of the disturbing things about this, just how ordinary um, the people were. Um, but... Kieran McGrath, who also spoke with us last night, also spoke about the fact that, you know, this is just 
there is support for this out here, out there. There are men who believe that this is an okay and acceptable way to treat women. And that harks back to our culture and our society. Um, and where have they lifted th- those attitudes mm, from? Mm. And what has gone wrong that we think that this is an okay way to treat vulnerable people? Okay, thank you so much for taking the call this morning, Aoife. Congratulations on the excellent work. Do appreciate it. You can watch the RT Investigates show on the RTE player if you didn't see it last night. Aoife Hegarty from RT Investigates. Text 0868104106, particularly if you've ever answered or seen those ads. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prendeville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. Text 0868104106. The show last night was talking about uh, Ireland's homeless figures being at an all-time high and so many people now in emergency accommodation. In fact, the figure with regards to emergency accommodation in Ireland now is over 12,000 people. But on the other side, of course, the, Aoife was saying that the latest rent report from the property listings website, daft.ie, said that on the 1st of May, uh, there were 959 homes nationwide advertised for rent. And I know that that is a stat that we've drilled into in Cork City and County from time to time on this program. I wouldn't be surprised if you looked at uh, Cork City and County on daft.ie this morning, if you found um, 100 houses for rent, probably even lower than that. You'll find vast quantities of them on Airbnb, but you won't on daft.ie, particularly for Cork City and County. So that's an absolutely shocking low figure. So that that feeds into vulnerability then. She says that faced with such stark prospects it may be unsurprising that those in desperate need may feel they have been left with little choice but to consider all options to keep some kind of a roof over their head. Kevin did you want to jump in on those stats was it? Yeah just like you know I'm in a very fortunate position that I'm trying to buy a home at the moment and even the prices of trying to buy now and like obviously we know that the cost of mortgages. Uh, is less than the cost of rent and obviously if you're paying to own something ultimately but like uh, I'm in the housing market at the moment and I'm seeing houses that are going up at an asking price of 310 now mind well, you remember that a lot of times at homes years ago wouldn't even make the asking price no, they'd be well, under then, asking because price the market is, is is dips uh, dips and you know troughs and peaks that's yeah. always the way it depends but right now we're in a peak for sale prices and you had one particular example of that I was, in the south side yeah looking at a home in Rochestown and obviously houses in Rochestown always do well it's seen as a very good place to live I suppose um, asking price 320 I think the latest offer on it is 385 how quickly did it go from 320 to 385 about 10 days maybe 65 grand in about 10 days I think I viewed it last week as a kind of an outside chance just in case and uh, yeah within within 385 I've heard of somebody else who was selling a home um, in Rochestown and the home wasn't in great condition it was an elderly family member that had passed away and they were selling the home on from jumped by 100 grand on the asking price in how long? in the space of I think it was 2 or 3 weeks so this is you know (laughs) like and that's to buy a house. Imagine trying to rent somewhere. But that's the thing, you know. I mean, and it's it, this is why people are left in these situations because there is literally no other option for them in the, the crisis at the moment. And look, we'll be hearing more about it. I'm sure. 
you know, you have some of the stats there in front of you, but it's, yeah, I'll come back you, to you it. can see exactly why people end up in the positions that they are. And last night's prime time was was really shocking. I have to say, really shocking. Yeah, stuff. men, other men, us men, should be very angry that there are men behaving yeah, like that. Absolutely. We really should. Yeah. But it ultimately comes down to an attitude that some men have towards women, and again, I say some men, but basically they're they're objectified and that they're objects and that they're you know they're only there for their sexual gratification and I think that begins in you know the dressing rooms and we talk about this before because we were talking about you know the, 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 the murder of that teacher up in Tullamore and Ashing Murphy and you know we talked about attitude that men have towards women and this objectification of women and I'd love to, to have Claire here but she's just busy at the moment she should probably ruin but it's just you know like these are the kind of conversations that Men at a very young age these conversations need, need to, be, to had be had because I was talking on air yeah. a couple of weeks back with various individuals one was talking about what she heard overheard uh, on the bus mm. with regards to primary school kids boys what they were saying about girls it was, and it was and, and shocking you carry that and you talk about Andrew Tate and these kind of characters that are only feeding into it like ultimately that leads to a point where men like these landlords believe that women vulnerable women are you know, it, it, what do I say? Legitimate targets to be mm. exploited for sex, and it's just you know, it's a whole culture really that needs to change. Not certainly looked that way last night for sure. It did. Okay, text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Massive response yesterday to the sad passing of Sinead O'Connor. Uh, Sean Wren, uh, who's over in warmer climates, said the world was shocked to see the late Sinead O'Connor rip up the photograph of the Pope. The world back in those days was idolizing the Pope, John Paul II. Yet on his watch, children were being abused right, left and centre by his employees. I was an employer of a handful of staff in Sean and Sue's hair salon in Cork, but if one of them stepped out of line, I'd know about it. The Pope was canonised very shortly after his death. In years gone by, saints were only canonised by having achieved three miracles. What a load of BS. That saint, in my estimation, solely in my opinion, should be decanonized. Sinead was way ahead of her time. She spoke her mind, was most certainly a troubled soul. Uh, regards from Sonny Tenerife. Morning to you, Sean, and to Sue as well. Uh, Neil, um, while you are a great interviewer and show great empathy and honesty with regards to Sinead O'Connor, um, you actually said to Dave Fanning, do we sometimes wish we could speak up a little more like Sinead? Um, she did wonders for Ireland to be able to speak out. I was never affected personally, but I did admire her speaking out at such a young age regarding the church and abuse. I'm a regular, I'm a regular church goer, but I admired her because it did happen and she made a statement not to brush these things under the carpet. I think for me it came with age to have the guts to speak up for myself. It came with age, not just to speak up for myself, but to speak with others or not to agree if someone is saying something that is untrue. Speak up. Or if a child is being wronged in the playground, speak up. Address it subtly and calmly. But at the same time, get the message across. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. R.I.P. Sinead. She should never be the same. She could never have been the same after her son died because part of her, if not all, went when he passed. She idolized him and she did all her children. And wouldn't we all? Thank you. Lovely text. Uh, another one. Katrina says, so sorry to hear about Sinead O'Connor's passing. It's such a pity all those kind words weren't relate to her while she was alive. She was a troubled soul. Your caller, Anthony, is spot on in what he said. The late Gay Byrne was a huge admirer of her and respected her. I think he saw how vulnerable she was. You could see the mutual respect in past interviews. We should all say how we feel about each other while the person is alive. 
but may her gentle soul rest in peace. Uh, such glowing words about Sinead right now. I would be curious what she would say about you and you letting on these right-wing racists on your program and not challenging them. I've never heard you be critical of the church or our crop of politicians. Now, you're entitled to your text and thank you for listening. But if you have never heard me being critical of our crop of politicians or indeed critical of the church, I don't know why you're listening to the right radio station. To be fair um, to myself, that just is not true. Um, You call other people right-wing racists and that I don't challenge them. Firstly, I have a problem with labelling people, right? Um, I give people a voice. I don't give them a label. I give them a voice. I give them a voice, an opportunity to say what they have to say. Not a label. We are way, we're way too into labeling in this world now. We really and truly are. Um, you, but you're entitled to say what you wish to say. But to say that I don't challenge people from the right, I don't believe that's fair either. I mean, I have had some very heated conversations and debates with people to the point sometimes I ask myself why I even bother. But thank you all the same. Um, I know you see things differently to how I'm trying to portray my response to you, but so be it. Um, Sinead, may God receive your lovely soul where you would be remembered as a true Irish warrior woman. R.I.P. Back after the break. You're listening to Court's number one talk show. I just think he's a brilliant interviewer. The Neil Prenderville Show on Court's Red FM. We pick up the phone on 0818 um, It's a free food Friday today, so bear that in mind. Text who you are and where you are to 0868104106. And we will deliver by Red Patrollers uh, beautiful, tasty, hot a rooster's peri-peri food this lunchtime. It'll feed between 15 and 20 of you. Just side uh, this side of 10 o'clock staying, firstly, with the original investigation by Anne Murphy for the Examiner and the Echo, and then Primetime Investigates last night, um, where landlords are demanding sex for rent, and there's nothing illegal about it as of yet. The vulnerability of people, of course, is one of the reasons why these men uh, think that they can prey in a predatory manner and... Uh, uh, behave in the manner in which they do. I was curious to get Mary Crilly's take on it from the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork, and she, she joins me by phone. Mary, good morning. Morning. Thanks morning, for taking Neil. the call. Busy morning for you this morning. Thanks for fitting me in. Um, you watched it last night? I did, and I mean, I would have been, you know, Robert Ann years ago when she was doing the report or talking to her about it. I'm just going to ask you, it did it come something. as a surprise to you? No, it didn't, not at all. It's something we would have come across quite a lot over the years. No, not necessarily as blatant as last night, but where somebody would come in and they'd say that they'd no rent for the landlord and the landlord um, basically raped them or kind of said, it's this now or nothing or else you're out the door. So that kind of thing does happen. I think what really showed last night was how manipulative these guys are, how clever they are, how they minimise it, how they kind of say, look, it's only maybe once or twice a week, you'll have somewhere to live. I'm a really good guy. They're portraying themselves as really kind of good guys. Doing you a favour. Really I mean, it was really extraordinary. It was extraordinary to see them uh, sitting across a table in a cafe with their, with their cappuccino, chatting to what was supposedly a vulnerable Brazilian student in the manner in which they did. And, and they, they were all quite similar in their behaviour, weren't they? They were. And, and you know, over the years from kind of... Um, all the interviews you've done and the interest you've taken in this area where these guys, the perpetrators, will always groom the victim in that so many people you've interviewed over the years would say, I didn't believe this guy was capable of it because he's such a good guy. And that's the way they come across as really kind of good guys, really, I'm a decent human being. I'm not a thug you'll meet on the corner. I'd be really good to you. 
I'm just looking for sex, like what's the big deal? And they groom everybody around them in that somebody said to me this morning, I think um, these guys were maybe trying to persuade themselves or didn't realise what they were doing or didn't realise the harm they were doing. And of course they did. It was very blatant. It was very deliberate. And it was also, you know, um, make up your mind in your own time, but come out to the car now for a while, basically, and I'll check you out. That's really what has been said. Well, and it was actually said. said. One fella said, we could we could try something today, uh, get, get a hotel yeah. room. I mean, it's just heartbreaking, you know? It really and truly is. And you could have a young girl who's kind of really exposed, who needs to stay in Ireland, who needs somewhere to stay. She wants her family to be sure or to know that she's okay and she might get back and say, I do have somewhere to stay, but for how long? for whenever he's finished with her, where another guy kind of said, I've two others I'm throwing out today, so do you want to throw not? It is that blatant, it is that black and white. It is, you know, buying a young woman for sex, buying a young man for sex, mainly young women, because they can have more power and control over them. And there is legislation in about, you know, going and buying somebody for sex and prostitution. So I think the whole lot could be included in that legislation. I do welcome it. I do welcome it. I really do because maybe people in neighbourhoods will keep a closer eye and be more aware of what is going on and to see somebody vulnerable because like Irish people are so good, they hate injustice. I don't know anybody who wouldn't take that young girl in if they realised that that was, mm. was what mm. was going on. That's what she was possible. Yeah, up a couple with. a couple of points that I wish to make to you. One was uh, one fellow who was older actually. A lot of the lads were kind of in their looked to me in their in their maybe late twenties. One fellow was much older than that. He he had come up with he had come up with the line if she if she moved in what he'd say to the neighbours, you know. He had it really pre-planned, like, this was really planned. He said, no, you're you're a student, you're paying rent if anybody asks you. It's very coercive, isn't it? It is, and that's what I mean about, he had groomed neighbours around him to say, God, he's a really good man, look what he's doing, he should be, you know, just looking after himself, he's taking a young girl in because he really cares, and there's a safety there because of the age. That's probably what they might feel because he's so much older that she's safe there with him and he'll you know, look after her, whereas totally the opposite. And it's just outrageous, like that men, some men, tiny majority of men, feel so entitled to do this if they want and not to look at this young person as a human being, as somebody who's desperate and who needs somewhere to live and have cover and have shelter. But they just look at her in a way of how can I exploit her yeah. and get something to yeah. satisfy my And didn't my they wants. look like very Nothing regular... Ki- yeah. Didn't they look like really regular kind of blokes? But they are. I mean, you know, and all the times I've been in court, whether, you know, for sexual harassment or, you know, rape or that, I've yet to meet someone who'd look like, God, he's typical rape. Yeah, I know what you mean, Mary. Yeah, yeah. They all look so easy, they're kind of married, they have their kids, they have their shirt and tie on. I mean, those guys that are really blatant kind of saying, I'm doing, I'm doing you a favour, I'm doing you a good deal, what's the harm? So, I'm really glad it was shown and I hope people, you know, living around them will kind of spot them but will know that they were deliberate and they knew exactly what they were doing and like you said, they had planned this, they planned every step of the way. But right now, if Primetime or Anne Murphy from The Examiner gave the names and details of these men to Angarda Shikona, Nothing could be done about that because, as we speak, it's not illegal. You know, it's not illegal, but I think there's different ways of doing something, of exposing somebody um, or of us all getting together. I know the Minister for Justice has said the review that's been done into the legislation, which was put in place four years ago to start the review, and I know the review happened because I was in one of the focus groups and I have no idea why it was stalled or, or where it's at, but come on. 
I mean, surely between a whole lot of them, they can bring in some small piece of legislation to protect the vulnerable that are coming into our country so we shouldn't have to wait for a big review of a big piece of legislation. So I think as a, a community, if we just contact people and contact TDs, because in fairness, Helen McIntyre has put different legislation in place. We can work on this one. We can really work on this one. Yes. Because, again, it's something else that's hidden in plain sight and it's outrageous. OK, maybe it's when the media shines a bright light on topics like this that something actually gets done. Can I just finally ask you the question that I asked Eva and indeed Anne? Do you think there are young girls now, or perhaps young boys, um, living under these circumstances right now? Absolutely. And I think they feel so degraded and so helpless they're afraid to tell anybody and they certainly won't tell their families and there was no talk last night um, well there was I thought the programme was excellent about how degraded and deflated these girls feel and how bad they feel initially when they're in a, a country with nowhere to stay and then this is done to them they just feel so deflated and degraded that I think they nearly give up on themselves Mary, thanks for taking the call. As always, Mary Crilly, Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. And I will give out uh, helpline numbers in a few moments' time if you are in any way in need of help or intervention. Uh, About prime time last night, I was really surprised that they showed the Brazilian girl talking about her experiences without disguise. Surely this could make her vulnerable. Uh, That's what good journalists do. They're not afraid to investigate. Uh, This RT room for sex is old news, as was the animal cruelty story. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. If RT wants to see real sadistic cruelty, let him try uh, halting sites. Of course, that wouldn't be PC. Was it landlord TDs who stopped the bill at committee stage, I wonder? If so, they should be named and shamed. Now, nah, it never even got to a vote, to be quite honest with you. What about this What about this arrangement? You can take a student into your home tax-free. Do you not think that would be open wide to abuse? Are men getting young girls into their homes Um, I think it's a crazy idea. Not quite sure what you mean by that, Desi. Perhaps you might explain to me. Uh, Why are you now promoting RTE when a few weeks ago you said you weren't paying your television (laughs) license? The hypocrisy is dripping out of you this morning, says Paddy. The rape crisis helpline number is 1-800-77-8888. 1-800-77-8888. Now... Show. Red FM. On a free food Friday, courtesy of ourselves in Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. So chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers. The main events include chicken wraps and chicken pitas and beef burgers, delicious burgers, basted in the famous Piri Piri sauce. And also for sides, the Piri salted fries, rice and waffle fries. Lots of different mayos and garlic mayos. And then, for many people, the crowning glory, massive cheesecakes. And you put your own topping on them. So you can have all sorts of different toppings. And that will be delivered. It'll feed at least 15 of you, perhaps more. Courtesy of ourselves in Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. So, uh, to our first bunch of shout-outs for the Friday that's in it. Actually, Mark and his workmates at Tidy Mechanical Repairs came back to say thanks to all at Red and Roosters for our free Food Friday win last week. It was delicious. And yes, Neil, to answer your question, we did share. The amount and selection of food was fantastic and the cheesecake was amazing. And that's from Magella the Mammy. Thank you for coming back and saying thank you. To all of the girls in Tails and Tubs Dog Grooming and Douglas Woolen Mills could do with some good food. We're working all day. To the gang at Custom Engineering and Ovens, Don and all the crew. Doc Decor. 
painting houses in Farnry right now. Uh, TLC Unlimited Crash and Preschool uh, in Blarney would love this. My colleague is leaving us today and it would cheer us right up. Um, Upper Glanmire is the home of BMD, uh, the deli in Centra on the Tory Top Road, keeping people filled with breakfast and hot chicken rolls. Make sure you got plenty filling in those rolls. Whether they're breakfast rolls or chicken rolls, I'm sure you do. Bet you it's delicious. GRP Roofing Supplies on the Tremor Commercial Park. RPC Haulage in Granada working hard. And Ross Creedon is always hungry. Lehan Motors on the Airport Road. Aideen, Melissa and Aiden are always listening. It's Aideen's last day today. She's going on maternity leave. So best wishes to her. To Bardsley Development in Cove. And on-site Paddy and Adam Lawler are working hard. The Carpenters, they could do with a Friday treat. And one or two more, the Coach House Cafe in Blarney Castle. We'd love to win. We're always listening. And we try to win the cash machine as well. We'd really like to try and make Celine's week as she's still very upset about her phone. Yeah, I vaguely remember something. Did she drop it or lose it or what happened with it? Pharmacy department in the cell. Oh, yes, she got stolen. Sorry. No sign of it, Celine. What a bummer. The pharmacy department in the South Infirmary and Victoria Hospital are listening. Haven Bay and Kinsale, who are looking after my ma'am, says Francis Carney in Bandon, and uh, the computer upholstery and foam services on Barrick Street, and Headway in Ballancolic. For the hungry staff out there, good morning uh, to Laura. So, text who you are and where you are to 0868 and we'll do the next bunch of shout-outs in about a half an hour's time. But back to the phone lines we go. I got a lovely text, a very sad text, and uh, very much from the heart text from Fiona, who was listening to uh, our tributes and songs about Sinead O'Connor yesterday, and it was so close to her heart. Fiona, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? So close to your heart, because you, like Sinead, were broken mothers, if you like, yeah? Yeah, well, that's what I, I think we are, yeah. Still are. I am nearly 10 years later. Since yeah. your son passed away. Yeah. John, yeah, I have a photograph John. of him here in front of me. Yeah. Big, smiling, beaming face of him. Yeah. How old was he when that photograph was taken? That photograph, he would have been 14 in the July of 2013. Um, that photograph, I think, was taken, I think it was taken in September of 2013. Mm. And he passed away on the 2nd of November 2013. So, so it's roughly about two months yeah, before so he passed about away. About two months. Oh, my God. And, and looking yeah. at the lad, you think that he had... Uh, he was full of the joys of spring. Typical lad his yeah. age with so much to live for and so much to look forward to. But yeah. he didn't see it that way. For some reason, no, he didn't. Whatever the reason was, we'll never know. But he chose he chose what he thought was best. It wasn't best for us. Definitely wasn't best for us. All of us left behind. Maybe it put his mind at ease, but it could have been sorted no matter what it was. Oh, uh, sure, I know. Whether it was something smaller, whether it was thousands of euros that he owed her, no matter what it was, it could have been sorted. Is it harder because yeah. you don't know? It's worse because we don't know. And, like, he did leave a note, but his note was basically how much he loved his dad and his three beautiful sisters, as he called them, and how much he loved his mom and his dogs and his friends. But one thing was, he said that he he did it because of the pain he was feeling. And we don't know what that pain was. We don't know what was inside his head. How did you even manage to read that? It must have been awfully hard. 
I actually, it's strange probably, but I think it's just one of my, one of my coping mechanisms is every few months I take out those notes and I do read them. I don't know, is it just to kind of hear his voice as I'm reading them, look at his handwriting, you know, just, it's just one of my coping mechanisms really. But 10 years on, it's as fresh today as it was back then, I'll bet. Oh my God. Yeah. What? Worse? He, tur- he would have turned 14 last Thursday, uh, sorry, 24 last Thursday, on the 20th of July. So we did what we normally do, his three sisters, my son-in-law, my husband, myself, my three grandchildren, and my my daughter's boyfriend all went out to Kilcully. I don't go to Kilcully because it just breaks my heart to leave him there. So I don't go out there that often. And we let the kids leave the balloons off and they kiss their Uncle John. They talk about him every day, even though they're only five and two, three-year-olds. So, but they still talk about Uncle John every day. And the five-year-old reckons that he talks to her. Lucy, she said, he talks to her and he comes to see her and he calls her, whispers her name all the time, she tells us. So... We went out to Kilcully anyway, and then the girls and the lads and the kids went out to their own cars, and myself and my husband just, we normally just take five, ten minutes on our own, and all we do is just hold on to each other, and it's completely heartbreaking. But as I was walking out of Kilcully, as I got closer to the gate last Thursday, I started getting pain. I started getting panicky, and I just, I turned around and I said to my husband, I don't want to go away. I don't want to leave him. It, it, it's you just can't explain the pain. It's actually it's actually physical, is it? Oh, without a doubt, yeah, yeah. There is such thing definitely as a broken heart, without a doubt, yeah. But it was the it's like panic attacks. You're going away and you're leaving your child. It's unnatural. There. It's unnatural. You see. It's you not know, supposed to be. In the ground. Whereas, to me, he's not there. That's why I don't go out there that often. My husband goes out there most days. Um, but I have a memorial table at home that I put stuff on to remember John. So you, you, you okay. cope with it differently in the sense without yeah. wanting to pry into your personal situation. No. But you say, your husband, and this is, this is like many years on, nearly 10 years on, um, yeah. your husband goes out most days. Yeah, yeah, he does. He goes out most days and he'll take a walk around and he'll spend a bit of time with John. Um, where is and he I, gets comfort from that, you see. He does, I don't. So I don't, I go out there and if I do go out there, it's not the going out there is the problem. It's the walking away and leaving your child there. That's what hurts. You're not taking your son home with you. And he's my only son. I have three daughters. You imagine that a lot of the pain you're suffering was pain that Sinead O'Connor's been living with since Shane also passed. Definitely, definitely, without a doubt. There's nobody, like, people go through pain, people grieve, people get their hearts broken. But having your child taken away from you is so much, so much different different to any other type of grief or anything else. To be, to, to the challenge of just picking yourself up and getting on with your life is overwhelming. Yeah. 
Well, as I said, yeah, like everybody goes back to normal after all this. Everybody goes back to normal. Now, we'll never be normal, and me more so than anyone. I will definitely never see normality in this life. And as I said to you in the text, and I spoke to my GP, I'm actually waiting on counselling now again. I'm ready for it now. I, I wasn't ready for it for years. And I spoke to my GP, John Sheehan, and my Lord saying more, if I wasn't so afraid of dying, I don't think I'd be alive. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because I just feel there's such a big hole in my life. Now, that, that year was a horrible year anyway, because we lost my dad and my sister as well, all in the one year and nine months. So, different circumstances. Um, it, it, you know, it's awfully sad listening to you, and I know we spoke before, um, yeah. and, and it's, it's lovely to chat with you again. Sad to hear that you're still struggling so difficultly, but ten, 10 years ago, of course, awful tragedy, but 10 years on, so many more are opting now and particularly oh, of, of a young age, the different challenges they, you know, they're trying to navigate through their their teenage years and the confusion and the, um, you know, the the worry and the stress and the anxiety of fitting in. You know, yeah, I don't know. and they just I don't know. Life seems to be so much more complicated and so much harder than when. Well, I'm fifty one now, so when I was growing up, like things just seemed to float by so much easier. The kids seem to be very under pressure or something in life. I don't know what it is, but they seem to have a lot on their minds and a lot to figure out, you know. It's not easy. Yeah. And, and sadly, I'm sure poor old John wouldn't have had any idea at the time of the, the torment or the hurt or the emotional and physical pain that would be left behind, you see. No. And nobody, nobody that takes their own life chooses to go down that road. Nobody realises what's left behind. And it's absolutely soul-destroying. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't great for years. And then nearly six years ago, my first grandchild was born, Elsie. And she did, oh my God, she changed our house and our lives so much for the better. It was unbelievable. And now we have Sean and Zara as well, three and three, three and nearly four. And I mind them every day. They're in my house every day. And it does make a huge difference. And the happiness they bring is unbelievable. But I suppose what you would, I know John's not there, but I suppose you would ultimately, I hope the counselling does work and help in some kind of way where, where, where what you're left with really is the happy memories. Yeah. Definitely, and he was so jolly, and so he was a class clown. We we actually the first Christmas when he passed away in the November first Christmas, I got a, a gift box from um, the AG school, yeah, that's where he attended, yeah. and all his um, friends in the class wrote a letter and wrote something funny about John that they remembered, and I take them out every now and again as well, yeah, and. I mean, he was a class clown. Like yeah. he was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Let that, that be was just his personality. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's important to you then, because you you, know. you can draw positivity and at least some comfort from that. Yeah, and should they were only children as well, dealing with this. You know, his class friends they they didn't know how to deal with tragedy like this. But the letters are so so funny, and they're really really lovely to have. I know. I know. 
but you certainly feel or uh, you know the you feel Shane O'Connor's pain though that's for sure oh my yeah. god unbelievable yeah. unbelievable and she she has struggled the last 18 months she has struggled yeah that's quite apparent that's quite apparent now yeah and your health now. your health does deteriorate big time because I don't know your body just stops functioning your brain stops functioning it's not it's not normal it's not the way it's supposed to be no it's not it certainly is not and I hope that as time goes on it's easy for me to say that things get better for you and for the rest of the family I really do yeah well it is what it is now nearly 10 years and unfortunately I'm just you don't get over it you just learn to live every day as it comes and every day with this like my my youngest daughter was 21 two weeks ago I think three weeks ago and he adored her sorry no there was two older girls John and then Jennifer and he adored her and just to have her 21st without him was so hard for her because they, they, their birthdays are 11 days apart the three years between them so they always celebrated their birthdays together Well listen it's very clear to me that you're putting an awful lot of your energy and your love into the extended family you certainly are in fact um, I got a lovely text in here from a neighbour of yours says Fiona was an old neighbour of mine a beautiful family I remember the night vividly John was such a lovely kid a permanent solution to a temporary problem how sad it is but there's some neighbours of you and talking about you and your beautiful family. Oh, so there are people yes. there thinking of you this morning as we chat. But look after yourself, Fiona. I mean that sincerely. I really do. Thank you, Neil. Right. Thanks a million for listening. All the best. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. Text 0868 The Samaritans is a wonderful helpline. They are there to help if anybody is struggling. And you can get in touch with the Samaritans on 116123. 116123. Back after the break. Winner of two goals at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. The Neil Prendeville Show. Talking with the Garda Representative Association yesterday, voting no confidence in Drew Harris. I fully agree with that Garda, Hewadon. I totally support the Gardaí, and I think that their superiors are gone stone deaf. I really sympathise with the Gardaí and think they get far too much criticism. Drew Harris is not trustworthy. Uh, putting a man in charge of what was part of the brutal behaviour in the RUC was always going to be a recipe for disaster. Um, it's, it's for the pension, Neil. Um, it's all about the pension. Yeah, but why shouldn't it be? I mean, there are a lot of different aspects as to why somebody would want to become a guard. You know, firstly, I think to some extent it's almost like a, a vocation, something you would go into looking for a lot more than just a job. But surely, be to God, the rates of pay and the rostering, the pension also have to be taken into consideration. Um, that uh, As long as we have a war on drugs, indeed drug prohibition, we will have a massive drain on guard resources. Go to any district court and you will find it full of guards there. And it's always for little personal possession of drugs cases. Uh, another one here. I was involved in a minor car accident last week. I contacted three different Garda stations multiple times and could not get through to them. I then contacted 999, was placed on hold as they could not get through to anyone either. After 37 minutes, I eventually got to speak to a Garda. God help me if I was being attacked or in help, need help urgently. I feel sorry for any Garda these days doing such a difficult job with zero resources. Um, I don't know as to whether or not people should be... I don't know, was this a minor fender bender or was anybody actually injured in that case? I'm just asking. 
as to the reasons to be looking for Gardaí. I don't, I don't know what the story is, actually. Two cars of a fender bender and everybody stops, right? And all of the traffic around them is to try and get around them or what have you. And they're all waiting for guards. Somebody please explain to me why. Is it that you're afraid that if somebody fender benders you that they will deny it or there could be a problem when it comes to insurance and you need a guard there to validate it? Maybe so. Uh, I think Neil was being quite harsh on Commissioner Harris. Up until a year ago, you couldn't join the guards unless you spoke Irish. And there were hundreds of thousands pushed out because of that rule. So that's a good change, isn't it? There were three commissioners in a short space of time before Drew Harris. The guards should be representative of their community. And that was a superb move. Um, actually, another one might be looking at the 35-year age limit with regards to becoming a member of Vanguardia Shikana. Although I did read some of the one in six people who actually apply to become guards fail the fitness test. I don't know if the guard numbers went down as I was in an area yesterday and four guards rocked up to a house to pick up one man and they were there in two big guard jeeps. As it happened, the man wasn't in the house. Why four Gardaí? Why two big Garda jeeps? Uh, talking about Gardaí, you did know that they sent some to Disneyland this, this year, didn't you? To help Irish tourists? Yes. Uh, split the Gardaí like Spain. Local police for petty crimes like speeding and theft. The civil guards then to deal with serious crime and everything that goes with it. Pay them on an age scale for the ages 20 to 45. After 45, they can go back to the local policing. The Spanish model of the civil guards just works very well. So thank you for all of those texts. Keep them coming. Text 0868 I mentioned earlier on this morning as we were starting out the program, the obscene profits of our energy suppliers. What about the profits of our banks? Bank of Ireland has reported profit before tax of 1.1 billion euro. Um, it's an incredible figure for 2022, 1.1 billion. AIB announced full year profits of 765 million. The permanent TSB swung into a 267 million euro profit before tax last year. And in fact, just to throw into the mix, because everybody these days is using Revolut as a bank, um, it's full First full year profit for 2021 uh, registered a 33% revenue jump. I don't have the actual figure, don't know why, but certainly a 33% jump year on year. So that's just looking at Bank of Ireland, AIB, Permanent TSB and Revolut. I mentioned that, of course, because while interest rates for mortgages and loans goes up, uh, interest rates for savings stagnate. So that's why uh, the banks love to keep interest rates for savings down. But they're very happy to increase interest rates for mortgages. And when the ECB does it, they add on their own little chunk. So it's, it's extraordinary that in the last, since last July, so it's a calendar year, there have been nine ECB rate rises since last July. So for many, that change in their mortgage payments could be as high as 5,000 euro a year. That's an article I'm reading from the Irish Times today. But as usual, the CSO has just released incredible statistics and they're to my knowledge comparing 2016 and 2020 and would you believe the CSO tells us that in that period of time housing increased in Ireland between 2016 and 2020 by 5% just 5% so regardless of what politicians are telling you when the CSO crunches the statistics that's what they come up with they also in the report that I was reading this morning, said, it's just one example, of the just under 48,000 homes were vacant in 2016 and still vacant in the 2022 census. 48,000 that were vacant in 2016 
were still vacant in 2022. That's just a couple of the stats. Brendan Murphy is one of the statisticians uh, with the CSO and joins me by phone. Brendan, good morning. Good morning. Those Those two figures, just in particular, are alarming. Um, well, I guess what we've been looking at with the, with the vacancy in particular is in the census measures, measures vacancy on census night initially. So it's really just looking at whether there's anyone in a home on census night. And we can see a lot of the time, you know, that, that the homes might be empty just for a short period of time in between a, a, a rental, pro- you know, or tenant maybe yeah. tenant hasn't moved in. Maybe. Then we decided we'd look at these kind of ones where the homes were vacant in 2016 and also vacant in 2022. Um, we can't say for certain they were vacant for the for the full six years, but you know it's an indicator of that, and and it kind of shows that like that. So our headline vacancy rate for the country would be around eight percent, but uh, but then if you look at this kind of longer term, it's around two um, percent. Uh, so it's about two in a two in you know a hundred properties that that are vacant, maybe for a longer period of time. And but it does it does vary a lot, like in very urban areas, like in Dublin City. Or in Cork City, you know, the vacancy rate would be down at like that long-term vacancy rate would be down at around the one percent mark, maybe one in a hundred. And then when you get into slightly more rural areas, um, you know, in, in kind of West Cork and Kenturk and Bantry, then it might be about four in a hundred um, that that are that that have been vacant over that longer. Okay, period. they're they're the numbers. I mean, we we drive a lot of West Cork and Kerry down around here, and we see loads and loads of vacant properties. Some of them very very old. I get that. But sitting there, nonetheless. But 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 five yeah. percent housing growth since two thousand and sixteen. Five percent. Yeah. So so we've seen the population go up by eight percent, and the number of houses and apartments gone up by five percent. So obviously the population is going up faster than the number of houses. But um, like that with the vacancy as well, what's happened is, well, you know, we have had more new builds. There have been more houses and apartments built between the 16 census and the 2022 census than were built in the 2011 to 2016 period. Um, so the number of houses being built is almost, it's more than doubled over that period. But uh, what, what's happened is, um, you know, the other thing is that, that where people are going is they're going into vacant homes. The number of vacant homes has fallen in, in between the two census. So if you think right all the way back into the kind of the boom period when loads of houses were being built, the housing stock was really growing very, very rapidly. But the, the number of vacant properties was growing really rapidly at that time as well. And so there were a lot of vacant properties there in 2011. And then since then, those the, the, those kind of those vacant properties have started coming back into use as, as the housing as the housing as, you know there hasn't been as much as many homes built since then. But there's all these kind of extra vacant dwellings from from that kind of boom. Yeah, well, 2016 was well after, that was well after the Celtic Tiger boom. Um, I mean, it just just strikes a layperson reading the stats that a 5% increase in the space of, um, you know, seven years is not much to be crowing or proud of, particularly when you look at the CSO statistic that says the average weekly rent paid to a private landlord in Cork is up 40% on 2016. Yeah, the rents rents have gone up. I mean, it's something I suppose has been reported pretty widely that that rents have been going up, and um, and you know we can see it again in the census in the census data. And census, I suppose, looks at looks at all rents, not just maybe you know rents people moving into a property for the first time. You know, that they might be impacted by higher rents than somebody who's maybe been in a property for a few years. But yeah, even still, across all categories, we are seeing a forty percent increase over that over that period. And uh, you know, yeah, rents are getting pretty high, like in Cork. In the city area, I think the average rent, the kind of Cork City and suburbs, are three hundred euro per week. So that'd be that'd be about um, you know nearly thirteen hundred a month, and that's 
Um, and that, you know, like I say, that, that would include a lot of these people who are, who are in rental properties for a longer period so might not be paying as high rent as, 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 as maybe somebody who's mm. looking, at, looking for a property for the first time to mm. rent. So mm. Mm. No, that, is, uh, that is interesting. All right. One other statistic before I let you go is the old age pensioner statistic regarding those that are over 65. Would you, would you think that, there's, firstly, there's been a big increase in renters aged over the age of, of 65. They would have been long-term renters perhaps all their lives that just have moved into the OAP category now, do you think? That's exactly it, yeah. You can actually see that, the, so say like there were um, the amount of people that were renting in their early 60s, and if you com- combine that with the people who were renting, um, you know, over that age in the last census, then then yes, yeah, it's basically, it's basically those people who are long-term rentals are, are now a bit older again. So we've seen a big increase in the older in the in the in the population who are older, twenty percent of people over sixty-five. But then an even bigger increase in the number of older people renting because of this because there's there's kind of more yeah people renting in their in their fifties and sixties kind of long-term, and then they're moving. They're getting as they get older, then you see even bigger increase in the number of people renting. Yes, but the papers this morning described them as very vulnerable people renting over sixty-five. Yeah, I mean, look, look, it's it's we've kind of we've kind of just got the data out there, just trying to let people see what, what what's available. Um, you know, we we don't really get into the, the policy side of things. Uh, you know, we've we've we can break the data down and and look at it in different ways, and then people can people can use it. And there's a huge amount of data we've published on our website, and it's on you know www.cso.ie, and it gives people the opportunity to see what the situation is and see how things are changing over time. And, and particularly it gives, um, you know, it, the, the data's there for obviously all the, the government bodies and government agencies to look at. Absolutely. Um, thank you for it. Yeah. Thank you for it. It doesn't make for optimistic reading, but thanks all the same. Appreciate you giving me the update with it. Brendan Murphy, statistician with the CSO. One of the other um, issues, actually, you're probably aware of commercial landlords, you know, commercial landlords. Um, we moved in hugely profitable returns for them into the Irish housing market in this country. They're international. I give you a typical example of what it would be, um, you know, people that are foreign funds that own huge amounts of Irish property. One of them would be the con- the Canadian based Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, one of the largest investors in Irish property. And they see Ireland as a good mark for profits, of course, for their pension members. Um, so uh, all that and lots more besides. It was a, it was a big day on Side yesterday when Mick Lynch, the General Secretary of the National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers, was here in Cork to be awarded the Mother Jones Award. Um, his father was born on Bandon Road in Cork back in 1922. Um, he's a bit of a hero on Leaside. Um, an awful lot of people have a lot of time for Mick Lynch. He certainly doesn't hold back with regards to the rights of his members. Just before I chat with him and congratulate him on his award, here's a little bit of audio for you um, with regards to uh, Mick Lynch, some of his greatest moments, socking it to journalists and politicians. We've got people who are uh, doing full-time jobs who are having to take state benefits and use food banks. That is a national disgrace. What will they do if agency workers try to cross those picket lines? Well, we will picket them. What do you think we'll do? We run a picket line and we'll ask them not to go to work. Direct lie. If you are a Marxist, then you're into revolution and into bringing down capitalism. So are you or aren't you? Richard, you do come up with the most remarkable twaddle sometimes. That's the unions don't tell me who I am and whether or not I'm working class or what, any of those sorts of things. I didn't tell you you weren't working class. I don't, I don't even know your name. That's Onto a lie. The street. You can see what picketing involves. I can't believe this line of questioning. Picketing is standing outside the workplace to try and encourage people who want to go to work not to go to work. What else do you think it involves? You've also lied that we left 
negotiations on Saturday and went to a rally. There were no negotiations scheduled for Saturday. You are a liar. The pensions of our members are going to be decimated. They're going to make us poorer, not only while we're at work, but poorer in retirement. And that's an agenda that the government has got because they want to subsidise the private sector in this country as they are doing in the health service, which is being consumed by the private sector, as they've done in the education service, which is being consumed by the private sector. He should be apologising to the doctors and nurses who can't get to hospital, the patients who can't get their operation, the kids who will miss out on their education today, but also those armed forces veterans who risk their lives for our freedoms who won't be able to celebrate Armed Forces Day on Saturday. Do you want to apologise for all that, Mick? Well, I think Jonathan should apologise for talking nonsense. None of that is true. And you're a liar. That goes on and on. Mick Lynch joins me by phone. Mick, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Please tell me that you picked up that gift of the gab and not holding back from your Cork-born dad. Well, I think so. They took me down to the Blarney Stone when I was 15 and uh, I think a bit of it might have come off and lodged in the back of my throat somewhere. So there you go. <laughs> I don't know. Nice to be back in Cork yesterday for the Mother Jones Award. Congratulations on that. Yeah, well, it's a flying visit. I've got to go back today, unfortunately. My wife's staying on to see a few people, but um, we've got industrial action tomorrow, so I've got to fly back and uh, get involved in that. I was, I was going to come for the whole weekend, but unfortunately yeah. I can't. Yeah, I understand, I understand I that. But are you a regular visitor to Cork, I wonder? Because I know you're a big Cork City fan, aren't you? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm a fan. I'd be a, a fan of anything that Cork did, really, but that's, you know, that's the way it the way it goes, but not as often as I'd like. Yeah, yeah. It gets a bit exaggerated, I think, by some Cork City fans. <laughs> kind of, uh, kind of, I get there because I'm, I'm just too busy and I'm getting about all over the place. And never busier. Can I just reference yesterday, because you did speak at the award and you spoke of landlordism, right? I want to talk to you about that. But you had an amazing statistic where, and this of course is a UK statistic, is that after the Second World War, successive Labour governments built 300 thousand local authority yeah. houses per year. Yeah. How well, did they, how did they do a, that? Well, this is a remarkable thing, because they harness the power of the state to service the needs of the people. Um, and what we've got in amongst the political class now, in all, all sorts of countries, in Europe and uh, in Britain and in Ireland and all, all sorts of places where there's this consensus that the private sector has to be the people that make provision, whether it's housing healthcare uh, or even education these days that somehow the private sector is going to take care and you have to harness the power of the private sector and it's completely untrue um all through that period after the war britain had a terrible housing crisis with not just homelessness but slum uh slum dwellings in all sorts of cities and, and in rural areas as well and that had to be turned around and they did that, the Labour government set that up, and then the Tory governments in succession carried on with massive house-building programmes, and they gave that task to the local authorities, the councils, uh, city councils and the county councils, and they did a good job of yeah, it. I mean, nothing's yeah. perfect, we yeah. know that. And there was a bit of that in Ireland, you know, from what I understand. Oh, for God's sake, for you, absolutely, from the 40s, and particularly the 50s onwards, so much yeah. housing estates were built in Cork. And we used to call them the Cork Corporation. They actually employed labour themselves. You know, that was yeah, their own they did, staff. they did the work themselves. But they also used private contracts. I've got no problem with private building companies being contracted by the the councils to, to get these jobs done. But that's the kind of scale we need. And what you can't do is leave it to developers, as you were talking about, the multinational developers, 
or even private consortiums in here. We've got exactly the same problems in Britain, by the way. That all the things that I was listening to, we've got them there. But we've also got this aspiration to be a buy-to-let landlord where you get a bigger mortgage, get two or three flats or apartments, and flip them round and exploit your neighbours, essentially. You're exploiting other working-class people uh, and racking up the rents. And we've got this phenomenon of short-term lets where they chuck you out of your house, whether you're a a single parent, an elder person, or a person with two or three kids, they just give you a month's notice. You've got to then go back on the market, give massive deposits, absolutely enormous deposits of two and three thousand mm. quid, and just to get a very ordinary apartment. And then they rack the rent up, uh, sometimes doubling and tripling the rent because they know they can do it, and there are no laws to stop them. So we need laws about what the, what rents can be charged. We need price control in the rental sector. And we need the state or the, or the corporations and councils to be a steward of the housing. And that would mean that the housing market would simmer down because housing prices to, to buy are at record highs. And we need a, a housing sector where you've got private ownership, which is good. I own my own house and lots of people do. Uh, you need a public sector housing sector, which would be for looking after people who have got lower paid jobs or haven't got the ability to, to buy their house. And you need a, a, small, a small private sector, which will be where there's more fluid stuff, where younger people want to move around or get short-term lets. So I'm not against private landlords, but now it's becoming the dominant aspect of our society, and I think that's very unhealthy. You and know, it used to be a mark of shame to be a landlord back in the day when I was growing up. Yeah, and if you go uh, back far enough, it's exploitative. Yeah, if you go back far enough, and I certainly know personally, say from the say in the in the 1960s, the corporations and the councils they built the houses, they built the housing estates. It wasn't as if they were giving them away for small rent or what have you. No. People and couples took out council loans and paid yeah. back the council loans. Do you get me? Yeah, you could you could do that in England as well. You could get a council mortgage. They stopped all that. Who did that? Was it Margaret Thatcher? Yeah, Thatcher wanted all housing to be privatised, and people thought that was good in the short term. But like a lot of like having a lot of sugar, the long term effects of forty years of that privatisation of the national housing stock has given these massive problems that we've got now, where the state doesn't even feel it's got the wherewithal to intervene. And what the Attlee government and others did after the war and governments in Ireland, they knew that the state had to intervene, intervene and they had to give the corporations the responsibility, but also back them up with a few, uh, a bit of public sector money in the form of bonds and all sorts of, you know, um, backup loans so that they could get the wherewithal, buy the land, run the counts, get the estates built. And it, I mean, I was with my cousins last night who come from a very respectable part of Cork, Valley Cahan, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. there was based on the corporation remodelling the city, getting people out of poor poor accommodation, which many people have, and it's common to most cities in Britain and Ireland that the housing stock had degraded, and you'd got to make an intervention on behalf of democratic government, I think, and that all politicians are neglecting their duties on that, on that side of uh, the equation, I believe. Mm. So your job in the UK, very, very serious yeah. and powerful job, uh, probably the most political and vocal union in Britain, you'd agree, with incredible yeah. power, yeah? I mean, um, we, we saw that recently with the rail strikes. Yeah, well, we've got a rail strike tomorrow. Yeah, it's a job. The RMT has always been a front-foot union. We're not affiliated to a political party, but we are a political union, and we think that we should speak up on behalf of working people in our own industries, which is transport and rail. Yeah. But also, you can't ignore the state of your community, and I think a lot of communities 
in all sorts of countries are feeling that society has been slightly degraded, that people are being left to their own devices and there's not the helping hand of the, of the democratic state assisting them. They feel that the state's a bit callous, I think, and is just allowing the private sector and those that seek to exploit each other to, to rule the roost. And we see that in an awful lot of uh, the way societies run, whether it's housing, whether it's the way that we had the utility uh, energy bill crisis in Britain. And I'm sure you had that in Ireland that as well. Very much so. Yeah. to be powerless. I mean, we used to own all of those things in Britain. British gas. Well, the profits are obscene, Mick, aren't they? They're, they're just obscene. The profits are obscene, and the, nobody spoke up to say, well, maybe we should just have price control. If BP is making a million pounds an hour, or whatever the number was, that's not an accurate figure, but it was of that order, well, somebody should just say to them, you shouldn't be making that level of profit, and you should deliver the energy uh, at a level where you make a return, that's fair enough, but where the, where the public and the economy, of course, the businesses, the small businesses, can also get by. And I think it was obscene the way that from COVID and from the shortages and from the war in, in the Eastern Europe, they've just chosen to, to go into the level of profiteering. You know, the, one of the banks we've got in Britain now, National Westminster, has just declared massive billions of pounds of profit. And they're yeah. making that off yeah. the interest rates that are being charged on mortgages and loans. Yeah. And it's obscene. I know you're under pressure. The there, Mar- do something about that. I know you're under pressure, but I am curious as to what you think of the Irish Labour Party and indeed its demise to a large extent, and the power or lack of power now of Irish unions. They were very powerful, say, up until maybe the, the 70s, early 80s, but not so much now. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, we were discussing that yesterday. There were a few questions to me on that. You've got to be in touch with your rank and file, and you've got to build up the membership in the workplaces. And then the officials of the union have got to spend less time talking to people they think can influence and instead talking to their members and building up a bit of rank and file control. And I think the Irish Labour Party found itself caught between every stall trying to go into coalitions with various groups that didn't um, chime with Labour Party values, you know, Socialist Party values, if you want to put it that way. And people in the end, I think, found that they couldn't believe in the Labour Party because every time they got into power or near power, they ended up propping up people who didn't believe in anything that the Labour movement believes in. Yeah. So that's, you, they've got to have a distinct set of values as a, as a Labour Party, as a progressive party. But for the, unions, for the unions, is it to stay in touch with your members? Because many would say that in Ireland they just became too friendly with the suits. Yeah, and they've become too friendly with the process rather than reaching out to the people. In, in Britain, in the last 12 months, we've seen a wave of industrial action from all sorts of unions. We've got hospital consultants and junior doctors, nurses, teachers, even barristers, but also a lot in the private sector. There's a lot of factory workers and a lot of people working for private companies who are trying, saying, look, we're not getting enough. We're simply not getting enough money to live on. Mm. All these companies are making profits, and there's plenty of contractors in public services making plenty of money because everything's been outsourced, which is another problem in our society that nobody's working for the provider. I'm sitting here at Cork Airport. There are dozens of companies working at this airport, but nobody's working for Cork Airport or for the for the airlines themselves. Yeah, And yeah. that's one of the problems, that wages are being lowered through outsourcing and subcontracting. Outsourcing. Yeah. And many of the benefits we used to ex- expect from working for decent companies in the past, such as Aer Lingus or the Cork Authority itself, the airport authority, 
those benefits have gone away and wages are being lowered. That's a good example because it's somebody else's problem. There's another link in the chain. Exactly. You, you, you know, yeah, they outsource you, the problem yeah, as well. Yeah. You, you, just finally, you, you, it doesn't seem to bother you, the criticism you get for what some would call the alleged chaos that you cause, though. Sure, it doesn't? Oh, it does bother me. I don't want to upset working people. I want people to get around doing their business and doing, you know, seeing their friends and relatives and enjoying themselves. We don't take any pleasure in that. Mm. But eventually you have to stand up for what's right. And we believe that we should have decent contracts of employment. We should defend the service that we work for. We should have uh, a decent wage. And we haven't had a pay rise for four years. And if we just get that, let that go by year on year where everything's being diluted, we may as well pack up. Um, but our union's not like that. And so we're going to carry on with our campaigns. We do get lots of settlements as well, uh, where we talk to the employers and make deals. And if we can do that, we're very happy. Good but we've stuff. got we're dealing with the government, and they're a very militant right wing organisation. Good moment. stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, and of course, just very finally, Mother Jones herself. The reason that you were on Lee side was to take the Mother Jones Award. She was a Corkonian left, in, you know, you probably know mm-hmm. more about her than I do. Left what in the eighteen thirties, um, took on the employers, became a huge, prominent union organiser in America. Yeah, well, she organised women textile workers in the mills and the plants, and she also organised mine workers. And this was some of the toughest conditions. You've heard about the Molly Maguires in Pennsylvania, and the, the, the mining conditions were some of the most brutal that have ever existed in working-class history. And she took that on. People were being shot by the employers, shot by hired gangs of thugs, but they were fighting for their lives, literally, in many cases, and fighting their children and the, the coal companies owned everything and she was right at the fore of that and she's got a remarkable history so I'd, I'd urge any Cork person or any Irish person to look up that history and what, what Irish trade union has, has done in Britain but also in America and around the world in Australia the Irish were the founders of the trade union movement and it's, so it's a great history and we should be proud of it because we've got to know our heritage so that we can build up the future. So 100%. I'm very 100%. proud to have got the award. I'm not sure I'm worthy of it. But you I'm are worthy of it, it, and congratulations on it. Did you get to Gunpowder Lane yet? Well, it's gone. It's up oh, there by damn, it's one of the ones that's gone. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got council flats on it, funnily enough. But, um, yeah, it, it was swept away some time ago, so it's not there anymore. But I've been up there, up by Lennox, Lennox's chip shop. <laughs> did, you get a bag, did you get a bag of chips? We did. The last time I was watching Cork City, we went there after the match. Aren't there something else, the chips and Lennox's? Yeah, they're brilliant, yeah, absolutely. Fab. Right. So it's just in that area, yeah. Okay, my friend. Well, congratulations on yesterday. And nice to catch up. Thanks so much for taking the call. Safe flight. All right, thank you very much. See you All soon. the best. Take care. Mick Lynch, General Secretary of the RMT, picking up his award on Leaside yesterday, the Mother Jones Award at the Firkin Crane. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Back to calls in a few moments' time on this busy Friday morning, but it's also a free food Friday, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. So this will feed upwards of 15 to 20 of you as we say good morning to everybody at Crowley's Pharmacy in Dunmanway, to the patients, admin staff in the South Infirmary. Morning to all, especially Colette, to O'Connell's Butchers in the Lock, the Porters in the South Infirmary, to the Rapid Prostate Cancer Clinic in Orchard Road who listen every single week, uh, Cove Heritage Centre, kind gesture from a customer 
customer who got in touch on their behalf. Morning, Sarah. Uh, South Coast and Fromoy and their sister company, Specto. Lots of good people working here, doing a great job, says Marek. Union Hall Smoked Fish are listening. Sh- uh, shipping Solutions. Amazing work. Uh, would be a great way for them to start the weekend. HS2 in Middleton. The girls working until 8pm tonight. Glamifying the people of Middleton, apparently. AOC Commercials and Carrick Tool will love feeding after a mental hard week. Be nice pick-me-up. Topman Barbers and Balancolic. Adrian Ryan and Sports Gear Direct in Tremor Road. Northside Tires, Blackwater Motors and Forge Hill. The All Black Tarm Academy in Curahalli in Farron. There's 15 hungry boys needing a feeding. Um, the Oliver Plunkett Kitchen. A busy day feeding everybody else. Would like to be fed themselves. Inside insurance in the airport business park. Would love some roosters. We had no luck queuing for the Coldplay tickets all week long. Ross Oil and Fernandes, John Gray, Auto Services in Middleton, Bridgewater Homes in Waterfall, ECI, JCB and Caratula listening, Stars Hairdressers in Gronabroher, and just three more, the Steel Yard and ITC on the Tremor Road, Paddy Powers in Gron, and Aaron Busher working hard out in Bishopstown. So we'll do one more bunch of shout-outs this side of midday, pick a winner just before 12, and then the Red Patrollers do their thing. They will deliver and feed between 15 and 20 of you this lunchtime, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. So starters, lots of main courses, wraps and pittas and beef burgers, and then build your own cheesecake for dessert with lots of different toppings. And you're thinking about uh, really tasty uh, food uh, across the weekend, think of Roosters, Piri Piri. Dot com. Text 0868104106. Back after the break, calls on the way. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. So much. Uh, many people uh, are in the Coldplay queue. I see texts coming in there already. Somebody this morning says there are 112,000 in the queue or something like that. Nuts. Uh, then on housing, uh, here, Neil, there's a few of us here in work laughing at the way you go on about the shortage of housing and soaring rents with people on the air. Why are you so afraid of actually talking about the elephant in the room? Does cancel culture prevent you from doing simple primary school level maths? If there is X number of people and Z number of houses and you keep inflating the value of X by adding whoever the hell can get into the country plus whoever they are related to back where they left from, then of course there's going to be a disastrous housing situation. This is Dara in Blarney saying that there's too few houses for too many people and too many coming in from overseas, adding to the list of those looking for housing. Simple maths, he says. Um, the guy asked Desi to explain his point there with regards to the primetime show, primetime investigates last night. He says the government is going to allow people with spare rooms in their homes to rent the rooms out to students for up to 14000 a year tax-free. You could have a man living on his own in a three-bedroom house or a single person with a spare room. They can rent the rooms out to young students. There may be another reason he brings two student girls into his home. This could have the hidden agenda. Maybe for financial gain, use them to clean his home, or hope to use them for sex, and because of the housing crisis, they would have nowhere else to go. I just think this scheme could be wide open to abuse. Thank you, Desi. I now understand exactly what you're saying. And added into that potential mix is the fact that would be 14,000 euro uh, tax-free um, paid, paid by the tenants. The thing about that is, if the tenant, as we saw in primetime last night, was paying no rent and instead giving sex for rent. Um, morning, Neil. 
you're so full of man battering this morning. I thought in the primetime show, a man and a woman were trying to get a woman in for rent for sex too. But of course, it's always men, men, men. Well, one of the cases last night was a couple, a man and a woman. The others were single men. Regarding sex for rent, if these guys are in houses which the state owns, they should be evicted immediately. It's a complete joke, thank you. So they're just some comments on Primetime Investigates last night. Uh, but just, uh, oh, yeah, we got Owen Jordan playing us out, the singer-songwriter playing us out live in studio this morning to round off the week, to round off Friday. I'm not here for the next couple of weeks. Mick Mulcahy sits in uh, for the next fortnight, so best of luck to him and the team. But anyway, back to issues this morning. Tony, good morning. Morning, Neil. You say that Primetime last night was a disgrace. Are you talking about... A primetime from an earlier night, if you're talking about housing. Are you actually talking about last night's primetime? Well, it's a combination. Last night just hit the point home that people are so vulnerable at the moment. Oh, thank you. The vulnerability of young women who might even contemplate sex for rent. Yes, but it's, it, it goes outside of the primetime show. There's a national crisis in housing. And the government, honest to God, I personally think they're asleep. I think Dara Murphy is probably the weakest minister for housing I've ever seen. There's a development up in Ochnihini of 80 units at the moment, half finished. The contractor walked off the job more than a year ago. Mm. No, Paul Burns highlighted it back in May. When Paul Burns on Virgin, yeah. yeah. On Virgin. Well, if the council was serious, Neil, that project would be finished. 60% of council... Morgs loans were rejected on the news last night up to up up to June. Sixty percent were, were didn't didn't get through. Yeah. Or people applied to the council. It's the system is broken. You heard me please talk about the days when the councils or the corporations built all of the houses and you could get a county council or a city council loan from them. That's right, so I started myself back in the eighties. Yeah. I there was a thing called the HFA, the Housing Finance Agency loan. And how it worked. They give you hundred percent, and you pay back twenty five twenty five percent at a time of your of your income. Yeah. If you were on a hundred thousand, you paid back twenty five. If you were on twenty, you paid back five. Yeah. It gave everybody a break. It did. Yeah. But but the biggest problem at the moment is, also the bank have pulled out. Bank of Scotland are gone, and KBC are gone. So you're well at the vulnerability you know, of three banks, three mainstream banks: EIB, Bank of Ireland, and NTSB, who who conduct a business in a shameful way. You, you can see the profits on, on your on the news on your on Reddit FM while you go. One bank made over a billion in profit. Yeah, these, are the, yeah, yeah. these are the clowns that were bailed out in 2008 by the taxpayer. And then they go in to sell mortgages of ordinary people to vulture funds like Pepper, so on and so forth. And, and you had another clown on the news last night. Uh, that Brian, what's his name again? Uh, oh God, I'm see. He's an XTD. I just yeah. looking. I was just speaking there at um, the tracker mortgage rates going back to uh, the early noughties when they were as low yeah. as wait for it half a percent and zero. So we find yeah. ourselves now ten years on to actually not even ten years on. I mean the increase from for the increase from July in twenty twenty two when it was point five percent. That's just a year ago to now four point two five percent. And we're not finished, Neil. We're we're not finished. Because we're, I think we're watching America, and it went up in America again yesterday. The Federal Reserve also appropriates yesterday. But the when, that was on the news last night, trying to justify it was Brian Hayes. Okay. He said it's a European problem. He's a failed politician who got who got the top job in the Banking Federation of Ireland. He, remember, he's a failed politician who lost his seat. 
and then was rewarded See, by broke the euro. I know, but that's all cold comfort. That's all cold comfort to somebody who has a mortgage in Ireland right now and has seen nine mortgages, in, mortgage increases in the last twelve months, which could be impacting on them to the value of nearly four to five thousand euro a year extra. Mind, it's gone up more than that. I won't tell you over the years what it is, but it's gone up more than that. And there's nowhere I can turn. Michael McGrath is on. They're going to do something in the budget. What? Why, do, why don't you do it right now? Why must we wait till October? But any kind of relief will be minimal, though. It won't go anywhere near putting a dent yeah. in the extra, inco- the extra income needed to pay a mortgage. But my point, my, my point about the whole scenario is I'm on a track on myself since 2009. The money I borrowed in 2009 is out of the equation. It's out of the equation. That money is gone. How can they justify increase, increasing my rate practically on a monthly basis since last July? How, where's the justification in it? How can government stand over it? How can the government of our, of our own central bank allow it to happen? Yeah. This yeah. is my point. Yeah. That, like the money people borrowed back in 2000, 2008, 2009, that money is out of the system. But we're still being penalised with every interest rate. And somebody just struck a call this morning Deposit the, the people that have money on deposit get minimum, minimum return on their money. Minimum. Yeah, and that's always ironic, isn't it? That they want to take it, but they don't like to reward people by giving it when they put money on deposit. Um, now, many people haven't got the money to put on deposit, but it just shows it's an example of greed. Where, where are we at then with the likes of Pepper Finance? I was reading about them recently where people are absolutely imprisoned within these vulture funds. But how were they allowed, how was the TSP allowed to sell mortgages that were performing, performing mortgages to Pepper? Who are Pepper? Are they ex-executives of the TSP? Where do they come from? Well, they they manage other uh, unnamed vulture funds as well, like, you know, the Ontario pensions people and stuff like that. Yes, but I I, I, I know people that the mortgages were performing, but they were performing mortgages, they weren't in arrears or anything. And back in February, they were made aware that Pepper had taken over their mortgages. And then what impact did that have on their mortgage and their repayments? Well, what it meant is they were dealing with Pepper and always said it to TSB. But the point about it is these people were never given the opportunity to buy the mortgages, go to the credit union and get a loan and buy the mortgages from the TSB. It happened without them being told? Yes. Okay. So, like, what what, what the Pepper paid? Did they pay 50 cents in the euro? Did they pay 40% in the euro? 40 cents in the euro? Or... You know, but, they, but the terms and conditions of their mortgage repayment didn't change, did it? Well, if you're on a variable rate, it certainly did change. Or if you're on a tracker, it certainly did change. Yeah, but they couldn't make up the rates, the likes of Pepper or the Vulture Funds. They no, but they can't put a tracker because it's, 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 because it's, it's, it's attached to the ECB rate. Yeah. But if you were on a variable rate, you're on a variable rate and they can actually do what they want. Neil, if you go back to the 70s and right. 80s, when, when, when the local authorities give out loans to people, ordinary hard-working people, people were able to buy houses. But unfortunately, we're dealing at the moment with banks. Well, you heard Mick Lynch talk about that. Everything became privatised. It was being left yes. to the private sector. Let them thrive and all ships will rise. Well, that seemed to be the trend. But Neil, it, it goes outside housing. The cost of living has gone out of control. Like, it doesn't, they can't even get back inflation. They can't get it back. Look at the energy companies, the profits. Michael McGrath says they can do nothing about it. The government don't 93% of electric Well, two of the biggest areas, really, that are open to scrutiny would be the utility and energy providers and the multinationals. And both of those are always in profit. Big profit. Oh, and their profits just go one way and that's up, without a doubt. Yes. Yeah. But Michael McGrath said they have no control over what electric will do. 
I, I, I googled it half an hour ago. There was government donating 3% of Electric Ireland and they can do nothing about it. So they're talking go to both sides of their mouths again. But you see, the, the, the whole that would be anti-competitive if they did something because they don't own other utility providers that Electric Ireland go up against. Yeah, but what prices fell six months ago? Well, that, months I, ago. I know. I mean, I think it's obscene. I absolutely do. And I think and that they're talking, they're talking through both sides of their mouth. They're talking about it. Fact, that won't do you and me any good. If they, if they did tax the profits of 50%, it doesn't do myself and you any, any good at all. Like the, the whole system, really and truly, the whole system is wrong. All right. From okay. the top to the bottom, the system is broken and it's worse. It's getting... With Eamon Ryan on, on, the, on the radio, on the television, he wants to put free trains back on. Is the man living up in the sky? Let me get some more. Let me get some more calls on the air on this and other things. Stay in touch. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate oh, the call. Take care Thank for you. now. Bye-bye. Text 106 Pick up the phone on 0818 Well done for raising the issue of bank interest rates for depositors. In order to get that 2% deposit rate, you have to tie up your money for a year, sign a pile of forms, and there's no access to your money for the period committed. It's frustrating, says a Killarney listener. Morning, I bank with AIB and Fromoy. I was on holiday last week and uh, took €120 Euro worth of change into exchange for notes. I've already paid card charges to withdraw this money. The cashier wouldn't give me cash back. It had to go into the account. I explained I'd paid to get the money out already. Should you really expect me to pay again to withdraw money I'd already withdrawn? The answer was, it's their policy. It's only a few cents, but it's an example of AIB ripping off their customers. That's bizarre, actually, because you went in with with change and asked for notes, right? Just a fair transfer. There would have been no money changing hands, right? But the bank wouldn't do that because they wanted to give to... They wanted to do what they, you wanted them to do, but to charge you a fee for the transaction by putting it into your account and then you taking it out again for it to be charged. It's very sad when you hear stories like that because it's just blackguardism. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Can I just give you an example, actually? This is probably a good example of multinationals. I got this from somebody recently who obviously is a food producer. Uh, I'm not going to say what type of food because they're quite vague about that, but they give an example of, say, pizza manufacturer. They say supermarkets say shop local and support local and we care. This is nothing but BS. I'm fuming at the government saying they cannot do anything with regards to retail prices. The supermarkets are robbing us and I want to let your listeners know why. So many small businesses are closing down and struggling at the moment and nothing is being done to help. The way the supermarkets work, I'm saying, say for instance, your Musgraves, your Super Value, your Centra, your Duns, your Tesco, your Spars, your Lidl and the and your Aldi. The way the supermarkets work. Here's an example of how they work. The business example I'm giving you is pizza. It's not the real product, but let's say pizza. If the retailers find out I'm writing this, they will throw me out of their stores. So call it pizza manufacturer. This is a made-up company, just to give you an example of how gluttony works. As an example, I'm a small business with 20 staff, family-run, all local people. We make pizza. Pizza retails in shops at €6. The retailer will take a 45% margin. Right, that's what they put on the price. So we sell that pizza to the supermarket at three euro thirty. So the supermarket makes a profit of two euro seventy. We make the products with ingredients that cost us one euro fifty. So we make a profit of one euro twenty cent. With this one euro twenty cent, we must pay staff, rent, electricity, insurance, transportation, everything. We'd be lucky to make a thousand euro profit. 
but keep going to support local jobs and families. So this is um, a company that makes, say, for instance, pizza. So after everything's paid, all of the salaries and everything, what's left in the bank at the end of the year in profit? Maybe a thousand euro. Supermarkets can stop your products at any time. They're all pushing own brand. They will delist you if their product is not selling because of your product selling. So if your local product is outselling their own brand, you're gone. If you don't agree to give the margin of 45%, they will not supply your product in the first place. Most own brand is made by robotic factories, even though they are struggling with the greed. Uh, as in, can't keep up. The same factories produce same product, but in different packaging. They all make the same product, put them all in different packaging for each of their different supermarket chains. Same factory selling the same product, but supermarkets change all charge all sorts of different products for the same product that comes out of the factory. A lot of products that are pushed as Irish are not made in Ireland. Um, examples and how many of these own brand are classed as Irish. But look, in, look into it. A lot of them are actually UK. Shukra is made in Germany. Yes, it is by a company called Nordzucker. HB ice cream is made by Unilever in the UK. Cully and Sully is made in the UK. Lion's Tea is made in the UK. We all think we're buying Irish, but are we really? Supermarkets need to respect small suppliers. They've forgotten about their customers. They're no interest in keeping prices low for customers. Each supermarket sends someone out to a rival supermarket on a weekly basis to check prices. And then they match their prices. Is that childish or what? So in short, supermarkets could lower prices if they if their greed stopped and the customers demanded change. I'm at the end of my tether and I don't think as a business that I can continue. Don't give out my personal details. Thank you for that. You have laid it out so brilliantly. It's depressing, but brilliantly laid out. Another couple of companies actually that we would have thought were synonymous with Ireland and at one stage probably were manufactured in Ireland. I mentioned Shukra, HP, Cully and Sully, Lions Tea. Others are Jacob's Biscuits, made overseas. Old Time Irish Marmalade, made overseas. Uh, Air and Soup, made overseas. Charleville cheese made overseas and bizarrely, which is quite funny, Dubliner cheese made in Cork. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, the Neil Prenderville Show. It's the best in Cork on Red FM. Endeavouring to get through as many uh, time-sensitive texts as possible because I won't be here for the next couple of weeks. There's an interesting one. I'm wondering if you can give a shout out for the Cork Says No rally this Saturday on the Grand Parade. People need to be there for 2 p.m. It would be great if you could cover this as you said you as you would any other rally. Saturday, 29th of July, Grand Parade, Cork says no. Neil said he'd mention it. Let's see if you will. Happy to mention it. Cork says no. The rally is tomorrow, Grand Parade at 2 o'clock. Um, Mick says we live in time in a time where intelligent people are being silenced so stupid people won't be offended. One of the reasons people stay silent is because they get labelled and stigmatised and they're afraid to open their mouth. That's interesting. Keep them coming. Honestly, Neil, with regards to the sad closure of the Wild Goose, the Wild Goose restaurant is one of the finest places to go for food in Cork. Top class every time. I'm absolutely gutted they're closing, says Jason. And of course, much of the reason for their closure is that they could no longer stand hand on heart and pass on the constant increases on the cost of everything to customers anymore. You know, the cost of food, the cost of energy, the cost of light, heat, everything that goes with living in Ireland these days. So it's a very sad thing that the Wild Goose decided to close. Honouring every single voucher, though, 
in fairness to them, um, unlike others that just cut and run. Um, text 0868104106. I just want to cast back to February of this year when I spoke to Marie because at the time, I know she spoke to Mick Mull in May when I was away, but she um, is supervising. She's four person and also general dog's body and probably doing a lot of the building of it herself. Her own 1,700 square foot three bedroom home. A dormer bungalow. Um, I was mad keen to find out where she's at because February is February, March, April, May, June, July. So it's six months into the build. Shall we find out? Let's. Marie, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? Good. So six months down, where are you at? I love the four person. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to call people anymore. I said general dog's body, but I said I, I better do better than that. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, I'm good. I, being honest, I prefer to be staying in this building bubble than be, you know, worrying about interest rates. That's all ahead of me. Oh, I know. Oh. There's a bank somewhere in there's a bank somewhere in the in the uh, in the shadows. You see. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, we'll try and be positive. Um, yeah, it's going really well. Like, did you see the Instagram? I'm just I'm just seeing photographs for the first time. I'm very impressed. It's got a roof yeah. on it. Yeah. So <laughs> and windows <laughs> and a door. So yeah, like I have to say, I didn't think I'd be at this stage. Like I was thinking, the windows and doors wouldn't be until the end of July. Well, and they were in fairness. the second week of June. I mean, in so, fairness, the last photographs I saw, you were standing with, up to your. I don't know. You had the big boots on, standing in the middle of the foundations. <laughs> I know. So in five or six months, it's really kind of become a house I suppose Isn't it amazing when you look at the foundations of something like that they always look much smaller the foundations yeah. and the house actually turns out to be much bigger doesn't it? It's unreal yeah I have to say I can't get over the space downstairs and like it's you know way bigger than I thought it was going to be being okay. honest So you got um, I yeah. see the roof on and you got the what? Mm. I, I assume they're triple glazed are they? <laughs> Double. <laughs> Double? I should have kept my mouth shut. No, it's fine. But uh, honestly, like it, between the two, like when I was talking to the people that I was buying them off, there isn't, there isn't much major difference. It's still no, going to be no, okay, no, convince yourself of that anyway. Yeah. Dig your, you can dig yourself there into the curtains. <laughs> oh, man, never ask a question unless you know the answer. So you got Your the most friend, fantastic no double glazing. Have your floors down or what? No, so basically I had to get the outside sorted first so I did the, the exterior plastering and the fate and soffit is all done. I can get the scaffold down now so it's all kind of the interior. I have to get the first fixed plumbing done which is starting on Monday and then I'll be able to plaster the inside. Are all so, of your trades arriving on time? Yeah, like I, I really have to find wood here around me and touch it because I've been so lucky with anyone that I've got like I, I have to say they've literally been amazing that's like, great that it didn't turn out to be a nightmare because you yeah. know more than this you work for Cork Builders Providers so you know exactly what it's yeah. like in construction like if one trade is late or slows down it stro- slows down all of the other trades to follow that's it yeah so I suppose like I have to get the first fix of plumbing done I can't get the plastering done until that's done so that needs like that does need to start now on Monday like so once that's done It'll be the next stage. That's probably the hardest thing, though, is getting lining up the next person because sometimes I don't know what's next. Like, <laughs> I'm just swinging it, like you... as in only only for the people, like the people that I've got in the meantime. Like they've been guiding me and they've been so helpful, Neil. Like honestly, I'm so lucky. To make any changes I am, along I am the one way, of the lucky ones. did you just stick to the plan? Were you kind of looking and saying, "Oh, I'm going to do extra. I'm going to do more. I'm going to change this." Yeah, like with with regard to the insulation, now I um. I'm like, oh, so look, why not just do it 
like I can do it now, now as opposed to afterwards go and get the best insulation that I can in the, you know, the ceiling and the, yeah, the walls and stuff. Important. So it wasn't, like, that wasn't the plan at the start. And now when I'm in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, look, I'll pay that extra couple of grand for that better insulated house, like, do you know? Yeah, you so, see it yeah, on the TV kind of shows and all well, the time. The, the no, prices the and the that, Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Neil, uh, the ventilation there, this MEV that I didn't need, didn't know I needed to get, but I have to get this because of the heat, air-to-water heat pump that I have now. So that's another thing I didn't know I needed oh, to get. Oh, I'd love another. one of them, but the only kind of time you should have one of them is a new build like yours, you know? Yeah. It's impossible yeah. to uh, impossible to efficiently adapt another house, but yours would be perfect for the heat pump, won't it? Yeah. What was, it, like, yeah. What, what was the most stressful part? Was it the maths, the sums, the pricing? Yeah, so pricing around is one of the hardest for me because you have to price around and like when I get the when I get the three different quotes and seeing the the variance of price for the exact same thing is mind boggling for me like yeah the calculator's out all the time is it yeah I'd say people some people can just name their their price and they either don't want the job or they can you know just well, I see. Arm, I yeah, I know you have to key. You have to crack the whip. Now, maybe that's what I call you instead of a force person, a four person, <laughs> a whip cracker. One of the photographs <laughs> I saw you back in February was in welly boots. The photograph I'm looking at now is a stunning dress in high heels, <laughs> standing next to a big bale of cement. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I said, why not take a picture? But I broke my wrist, so I was out of action oh, for about eight weeks. Anyway, how did that happen? I was over in Portugal. Um, I went over for a few nights and I missed the step. So simple and just fell. Oh, no. That's the kind of yeah. thing I'd have expected you to do on the building side, for God's sake. I know, sake. but you know what? And I'm surprised I haven't broken my wrist before that because I'm like, I, I'm constantly like tripping <laughs> over something in, in over there in the house. Well, like, you, you can't be going around a site like that in high heels. You do know that. No, no, I wouldn't. No, I usually, ha- I always have my wellies on, but I was just heading out, so I think I just took a picture. Okay, I, d- I don't mean to... Um, put the kibosh on anything but do you have a dream date when you'll be opening the front door to family and have the, the kettle on and stuff like that yeah Christmas <laughs> yeah, why I not? know and like no no I'm okay I, I with just, that yeah I know it's like it's unrealistic really though Neil because I just think the next few months are going to be are going to slow up you know because there's so much that needs to be done inside but it's an, I, I will say this when there's a tradesman working in the house I can't get over what they can do in eight or nine hours. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, even having the windows one day and four hours later, they had the windows and doors installed. That all is just mesmerizing. The trades, I just think, are so talented. Like, Well said. I mean, like I see the windows in and I see the roof on. Beautiful split level roof and everything. And and I think, oh, she's nearly there. You know, you've got... I know. If the inside work now will, will, will definitely test me, I'd say. But... Like the like even the carpentry, oh, just everything. I'm just so impressed with everything at the moment. So I have to be positive. So are you talking uh, about Christmas dinner for the extended family then? Yes, I would love that. Oh, it'll be something yeah. else. Would you recommend people to do? It's very much direct, you know, under your watch. Yeah, would you recommend exactly. it? It's funny you said that because my aunt actually asked me last night. Would you get a builder in if you were to do it again, or go the direct labour route? And first of all, I wouldn't do it again. I was asking so you this, next whether you're going to business doing it. Yeah, so this is a once-off, but I'd still go back and do the direct labour. I know now it's obviously going to work out better for pricing and cost or whatever, but if I had more money, maybe I, I, I still would go down the direct labour because I'm actually enjoying the process. Like, It's time-consuming, though, Marie. It is time-consuming. It is. But 
I, I don't know, this just it gives me a bit of like confidence and a boost. Like every day I'm learning something new and I'm I'm kind of I'm enjoying it, which I hate. I can't believe I'm saying that like. I know. I'm I know. I'm enjoying it more than than I'm finding it stressful, which is a good thing. Well, you know, think of this, right? You know, that beautiful couch in the front room in the sitting room. Yeah. You know, the big LED the TV. TV on the wall, the fire. I'm after buying I I did buy my electric fire and all already. See, so that's so the, my dream fire. That's the memory you need to hold on to, you know. Looking yeah, forward. those Where, little things. I, I met, I met your sister. Where did I meet her again? My mind's like a sieve. Oh, Balancholic. was it the show, summer show, or oh, something? Oh, that's right. <laughs> we had good, we had good crack. That- yeah, she said that, and she said that you were asking for me. I was asking for you. Because oh, you often come and, into my mind, so I'm glad we got I'm a delighted, catch up. I'm delighted now you called me because you were on holidays, are you? I got away for a couple of weeks, yeah, but, you know, we, we all deserve a little break. I feel half guilty about it, but I'm going anyway. Yeah, but you shouldn't feel guilty. Everyone needs a holiday. I know, I just do. <laughs> Listen, um, will we chat again so and see how things are going in the autumn, maybe? Yeah, a couple of months. Hopefully, November, I'll have, you know, it'll be... Tiles in, maybe. Okay. Tiles and flooring I in. Can, I hope I can wait till then. I'll wait till November, so, all right? Okay. Well, you can call me whenever you want, like. All right. Okay. Okay. Have a nice holiday and lovely talking to you, Neil. All right, Marie, take care. Take Have care. you a name for Bye. the house? Have you thought of a name for it or is it a number? Uh, I have kind of a name. And it's <laughs> my two, my granny and granddad's home place. So, Laren Dota and Kilcrohan and my, my granny was the Woodlands. So I'm thinking Laren Wood, but that could change. Oh, that's, that's nice. I like nice it. Touch. I like yeah. it. I like it. But, so I let you know that might be more confirmed in uh, October, November. All right, girl, talk later. Mind yourself. Bye. Stay Have safe. Check out, check out. Wonderful stuff. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Free Food Friday, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. Morning to all of the gang in Bus Aaron and Capwell and Parnell Place. They're looking to get fed. There's a lot more than 15 of us, so roosters won't last long. Our mouths are dribbling. Thinking about the great grub. Everybody at Cullenview Interiors in Riverstick, uh, to the gang at Liam Lara Engineering, in Carrick Tool, to Classic Windows in Calumny, to O'Sullivan's Pharmacy in Grange Road in Douglas, Santry's Pharmacy on Washington Street. They'd love feeding today. It's the start of my 21st birthday celebrations. After a Trojan week's work, some food would be the answer to our prayers. We listen every day. Don't know who you are, but happy 21st birthday for the day that's in it. Uh, No Coldplay tickets. We're all very sad. Please feed us at Noreen's Hair Studios in White's Cross. There's Noreen and Lynn and Sophie and Ella and Molly and Catherine and Sheila and Kerry and Ita and Breda. Looking after all their lovely clients for 20 years. Atkins Grass Machinery are listening in Valley Corrine. Power Labour Solutions in Carrick Tool working their socks off since sunrise and starving. United Packaging Group are listening out in Carrick Tool. They'd love roosters to start the weekend. Morning to Mark and all the team. Foley Plumbing in Toker um, to feed all the hungry plumbers out on the road today to the stroke unit in the CUH and Martin the Porter would love a treat on a Friday or indeed any day I'm told classic windows in Columny high street books looking after people so many years making life easier with back to school with the friendliest staff they'd love the food says a local customer for years uh, Dean Civils in Orchard Road working hard Cleary's Pharmacy in Skibbereen uh, they've, they're all dolled up 80s style today behind the counter for the Skibbereen Arts Festival this week brightening our morning for sure any chance you'd send us a photograph of your dolled up 80s style from the pharmacy in Skib and we'll share it on our social media to maternity to baby.ie Cork online business for all your pregnancy and breastfeeding clothing needs. So that's the end of the shout-outs for today. We'll pick a winner for Free Food Friday in a few minutes' time. Sheena Crowley opened her brand-new 
um, music shop uh, last night at number one Friar Street. I was there. There was a big turnout. There was a beautiful evening. The sun was shining. John Spillane was playing. I was there with George from the Roaring Forties. I caught up with an awful lot of old buddies. Met up with Elmarie Maw broadcaster, hadn't seen her in a long time great to see you looking so well Elmarie but it was just a lovely occasion and she's got the guitars are up on the wall, the mandolins are up on the wall and everybody was there to wish her well there was vino and cold beer and stuff like that and big group photographs, so it was a wonderful occasion I just want to wish Sheena and her daughter the best of luck going forward with the business may you go from strength to strength and Sheena's daughter now is in the business so it's fourth generation Crowley at this stage, best of luck Sheena you were way too busy for me to be annoying you last night but thanks for the wave nonetheless uh, talking about f- fourth generation businesses you know and handing on from Tig to Mick to Sheena to Sheena's daughter um, that kind of leads me on nicely to our giveaway for today Friday which is our summer family passes your opportunity to take the family off um, on one of our many different giveaways of uh, tourist attractions across our beautiful county. It's many years now since I was down in Bantry House, but I was there and I was blown away by it. The building itself, the exterior, the gardens, and indeed the beautifully laid out interior. And there's some family passes to give away this morning, five of them uh, for Bantry House. But I want to talk to Julie Shelswell-White, who's a direct descendant of the Earl of Bantry. I mean, that's just mind-blowing, even saying it. Julie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are how you? How are you? A direct descendant. How many generations would that be, I wonder? I know, yeah. I'm 10th generation. To live oh, my house. God. Pretty good going, isn't okay, it? Absolutely. And have the family always been there and always lived in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So my ancestor, Richard White, he bought the house and he moved in in 1765. And we've been here ever since. Can't get rid of us. How old is the building if he bought it? Somebody else built it? Yeah, well, it was built originally in 1690. But then my ancestors in the 18th century made it... Uh, much bigger and then made it even bigger again in the 19th century. So not really much left of the original 1690 house. It's more a sort of 19th century at this But point. for your family and all those generations, mm. uh, did you say a score of them, like 10 or I think we said, it, it would be reasonably rare that you'd have a family staying and living and holding on to a house and being able to hold on to it for that long. Yeah, we're very lucky. Um, it's definitely hard work and it always has been and I suppose it always will be. Um, but I mean, I can only speak for myself personally. I love it, and uh, I, I would never want to get rid of it. So, so we're going back to felt the same. I'm sure they did as far back as what the Spanish Armada, uh, French Armada, and before that, yeah. Oh so my God. Um, oh my yeah, God. the French Armada in 1796 um, tried to invade, and um, it, it obviously didn't happen. So you had um, re- you had red coats in the house then, I suppose. Basically, yeah, so my ancestor would have alerted the authorities of that. And that's the way it was in the time. And even in, the in, the, in the, okay, so there are generations of you with all mm. different historical stories. Absolutely. It was converted during the Civil War, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's a really interesting point. You know, the fact that the French Armada, you know, obviously didn't go ahead. But then during the Civil War, it was a much different story. From 1920 to 22, my great granny actually offered the house up to the Sisters of Mercy. And it was used as a hospital during the Civil War in Bantry. The IRA um, occupied it during um, um, the, yeah, the so Troubles? It, it, yeah, so basically um, my great-granny, she was very, very clever. She asked that um, she had only one condition for the house to be used and that was that both sides of the conflict could could be looked after in Bantry House. Isn't that amazing? So, the Irish Army had amazing. it during World yeah. War Two. It didn't exactly. get burned down. It didn't get no. burned down during the times of the Troubles or anything like that because many no. did. Many, many did. So... You know, the fact that we're still standing, you know, I think 
says a bit on that. Okay, I wish I had more time to chat with you about it. You opened it to the public, though, in the as far back as the 40s, I think, is it? Yeah, it was my granny. Yeah, my granny opened it in 1946. And um, the business that we have here now is really a continuation of, of, of her original idea. She was a forward thinker. Not many people were doing that then. She absolutely was. Yeah, I think it was 10p or something to uh, to visit. And then my parents in the 80s did a huge amount of work on the house. They opened a and b and the B&B is older than I am. They <laughs> opened um, a tea room. They started hosting weddings. And the Little birdie tells me that Graham Norton got married there. Lots of exciting weddings have happened here, yes. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be giving away too much about them. I know, uh, I understand, yeah. Privacy yeah. is, the, is ne- yeah, so that's important. But um, what can people see then if they were to go along? Yeah, so it's really, really... Um, uh, it's a wonderful place for families. Um, so, of course, we have the grounds. We have 100 acres of land divided between formal garden and woodland. We have a lovely little play area outside that our head gardener Adam made out of trees and out of willow. So that's a lovely play area for children. It's completely natural. It's it's really, really gorgeous. Um, and then when you come into the house, you can see beautiful items from um, all over Europe. We have a tapestry that dates back to 1770 that was actually made for Marie Antoinette when she got married. Insane. Um, so lots to see. And then we have a quiz for children when you come into the house. So that's where the friend pass is really good because you can bring uh, three adults with you. Children can come in for free with your pass. And uh, we have a lovely quiz for children. So it really gets them involved. It's really interactive. They, they start running around looking for all the different kind of clues on the quiz. Half the time the parents are more more concerned with the quiz than the children are <laughs> wanting to I know it yeah right. but do you think that when like when people go into the house itself will they experience the life that your forebearers and those that went before you lived Absolutely yeah yeah so they really get to see um the house as it as it was in the 19th century um yeah, it's lovely. We do a guided tour at two o'clock every day as well, and, and you can join that. You know, I did that. Right. I did that tour many years yeah, ago. I thoroughly enjoyed my time yeah. there. Um, at, at this stage, though, um, i got to ask you, what are we giving away? Five family passes? Thank you for Five them. Anybody that passes. wants to book directly, bantryhouse.com. How's biz? Is it going well? It's brilliant. We're so, so lucky. We have tour buses back. I have a wedding nearly every weekend. Yeah, it's going really well. Lots of families around enjoying the place. So, I mean, that's what we like to see, you know, with the family business. And, you know, I used to run around here as a kid. And now, I, you know, it's lovely to see other children running around enjoying it and families enjoying it. So Absolutely. That's what it's all about. Long may it continue. Fair play to you. Keeping the flag flying and it lit, um, the candle lit the window of Bantry House. Fair play, Julie. Thanks so much for taking the call and the, Thank you, Neil. the little Appreciate history it. lesson. Really enjoyed it. Mind yourself. You. Our lines are open. You can get one of those five family passes now. 0818 104 106 callers 9, 10, 11, 12 and 13 for a family pass for Bantry House. I highly recommend it. It's a number of years since I was there and I'm quite sure it's even better than it was before as they go from strength to strength. As we go from strength to strength to play out uh, on this Friday morning, joined in studio by Owen Jordan and his, uh, going to say bazooki, you can correct. correct me. No, you don't need to be corrected. All right, my man. So I'm going to hopefully get two in, but let's see how we go. Okay. What do you do? What's your style, brother? Uh, I suppose it's folk music, essentially. Uh, mostly original music. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Influenced by Irish music, American music, bits of blues thrown in there. Okay, yeah. okay. Let's yeah. let's see if you live up to our expectations, okay. shall we? Do okay. your thing, okay. Owen Jordan.
of the album isn't it that's it great. that's a complex playing that it must be tough to play those bazooki type chaps what am I getting there so I'm getting Cajun bluegrass country blues the lot yeah all of that yeah, yeah. have you, have you travelled the southern states I haven't no no I've only I've only ever done kind of the east coast of the US but wow. yeah, you certainly have it done. mastered though I but do. you're a multi-instrumentalist I'm told are you yeah yeah um, 
anything with strings really guitar, banjo, mandolin not just strings, bazooki, guitar, mandolin, banjo, baron and keyboards. Yeah. Last week you had Andrew Fletcher in. He's also yes. from Whitegate and so are you. I don't That's know what's, right, what's in yeah. the air in Whitegate that turning out such talent. I don't know. I, I actually don't know him. Um, I'm kind of of that age now where I know people's fathers and uncles. 14 year old. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm talking to you now. He's 14 yeah. years old. He picked up yeah. the guitar during lockdown right. and learned it. And now he's gigging. He's not just gigging, he's on stage in the marquee with the frames. He's and, on fire. You know, yeah. yeah, absolutely yeah. flying it. And absolutely all credit to you, Tim, but you as well. You're playing, aren't you? I think you're playing yeah. Rosie's tonight. Yeah, that's yeah. right, down yeah. in Yeah, Playing I, the Mallow Arts Festival on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. A bar called um, Albert Lynch's. I'm there at five o'clock on Sunday. Yeah. And the album is terrific because you got, um, I see you got uh, Declan Sinnott on it with you. I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. things are flying. I mean, this is full time with you. No, it's not full time. No, no, no. Okay. no. Yeah. Um, I made that decision a long time ago. That, um, it's yeah. perilous, isn't it? It's a tough it slot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to pay a mortgage and stuff is no joke if you're doing this, you know. <laughs> That's the reality of it. Yeah. Listen, you've given me a couple of copies of the album, Hand Me Down the Moon by Owen Jordan. Um, I, can I hold on to one of these? I'd love one of these. One of them is for you. Yeah. I wanna, I'll yeah. give the other one away. Brilliant. Yeah. All right, yeah. man, people can follow the great uh, music of Owen Jordan on uh, your, what, Facebook, Instagram? <laughs> Yeah, there's uh, Owen Jordan music on Facebook, there's Instagram. OwenJordan.bandcamp.com. That's right, yeah. I'm on Spotify as well. And well done. Apple Music and all well that. Done. Listen, I yeah. really enjoyed that and I'm looking forward to the album. Great. Good to Thanks see you in studio. Thanks for playing on. Appreciate Thank it, my you. man. Cheers. Uh, Owen Jordan in studio with Bazooki and Hand Me Down the Moon from the his latest album. Now, um, actually, you've given me three, so I'm going to give away two copies of yes. it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Owen. Last bit of business before I love you and leave you, not just for today, but for the next couple of weeks. Free Food Friday. Uh, let's see who's going to get some feed in courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. And they've been texting for an age, but I'm told they're successful this time round. Um, and it's uh, Jordan uh, looking after their furry friends down in, um, I think it's in and around the Woolen Mills, if I'm right. Jordan, good morning. Phone line's right here and get myself started. There you are. Sorry, Jordan. Hi, Neil. How are you? How goes it? We're starving here. <laughs> I, I, was, I was hoping that because, because you're a dog grooming service, I was hoping I'd get some dogs barking as well from the woolen mills. What do you think? Yeah, let's see if we can try. Hang on now. <laughs> Come on, Bailey. <laughs> Throw- no, Bailey doesn't want to cooperate. How many dogs are you working on right now? We have... Five in at the minute, three on our own. Oh, there we go. Go on. <laughs> go on, dog. <laughs> How many staff? There's three of us here, and we're going to share with lad barbers. There's a lot of different businesses there in the woolen mills, isn't there, Jordan? There is, yeah, there's loads. <laughs> Oh, there's another one. <laughs> you've made my day. You've made my week. Okay, listen. Uh, you've made ours as well. Nico, I'm delighted. Food's on the way. It'll feed 15 or 20 of you. So share with all of the... But you can't feed... Can you give the dog... You can't, I suppose. No, you can't give him a burger or a no, piece of chicken. No, can't, unfortunately. <laughs> all right. I don't think their owners will be too happy. That's more food for the humans then. Enjoy it, all right? Exactly. Thanks so much, Neil. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend yourself to Thank Jordan and you. all of the staff at Tails and Tubbs Dog Grooming Services at Douglas Woolen Mills. Nearly gave me a heart attack. That's it. Uh, Mick Mulcahy's in for the next couple of weeks. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.